Where the fuck were you? No, I will not shush. Oh, it so hurts. Oh, fuck collarbones. Collarbones? What the fuck are you talking about? Fucking Rogers is fucking collarbones. The last day I remember. We got like five fucking minutes, man. And we got a show that we're going to be doing. We're doing a fucking crossover podcast in like five minutes. Who the fuck are you? Oh, for fuck's sakes, man. All right, look, we're going to have to use some kind of time manipulation to get you ready for this goddamn fucking show. Oh, who gave me this Red Bull? That's not Red Bull. What is that? That's a bottle of urine. Rawhead Rex piss, man. It's the bear of the dog. Now, listen, you've been missing for like at least a week. No, come on. It's been like an hour. Dude, it's the 22nd. Really? Yes. And we're going to record a podcast that's going to be released in like five days. Okay, all right. Just You did this to yourself. I have no sympathy for you. Uh, no, man. I, I didn't. Like, ghosts and goblins and stuff. You believe in that shit, right? Yeah. No, no, it's I like don't. It's like The monsters did it. Look, this is what we can piece together. Uh-huh. Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. Fuck. That you didn't f- happen? You freaked out. Uh-huh. You stole the time technology I aped from the time chicken. Yeah. You've been partying through space and time and fucking shit up that I've had to fix. Across how many different times and dimensions? All God of them. damn. I do have a vague recollection of getting bombed with Abraham Lincoln and telling him he really needed to go take his wife out more. Oh, Jesus Christ. That was you too. Uh, uh, damn it. I'm all right. sorry. All I know is somehow you oh. ended up in the movie The House on Haunted Hill. I'm actually in the movie House on Haunted Hill? You were a drunken leprechaun. God damn. I don't even know how that happened. This is amazing. Okay, you're here now. We need to get you fixed the fuck up so we can record this fucking show. Can you impregnate an elephant? I may have impregnated an elephant. I don't even know if that's possible. I may have done it. All right, we're going to get you hooked up with a saline drip. We're going to get the time uh, circuits working once again to get you all fixed up all because right. we got to record this goddamn show. And then after this, let's grab a beer. <sighs> Jesus Christ, you never fucking learn. Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now. Garbage people. Cinema Psyops. My personal view is that it's nauseating, disgusting, degrading, ghastly, steamy, truly and wildistic and generally nauseating. They are unbelievably nauseating. They are the antithesis of humankind. I regard them as disgusting, nasty, horrible, without any kind of merit. I just do not believe that any allegedly cultural activity which strikes at the roots of culture is to be applauded. They represent nothing to my mind, enduring, decent, or worthwhile. I just do not believe they contribute anything worthwhile to inflict themselves upon society at large. I would like to see somebody acting a very, very large, exceedingly deep hole and drop the whole bloody lot down it. You know, I think the whole world will be vastly improved by their total and utter non-existence. Cinema Psyops with Hawks and Matt. Hello and welcome to Cinema PsyOps, back from his bender, going through all of space and time and through multiple dimensions, all because one guy broke his collarbone. It is Matt joining me in the studio. I'm back. (laughs) What's left of you after your epic bender? Hey, motherfucker, it's not just one man, all right? It's Aaron fucking Rogers. 
I, that means little to me, if anything. And I just put money on the Packers to win the Super Bowl while I was in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very next day, breaks his fucking collarbone. I'm like, you fucking kidding me? <laughs> so and then, I, of course, it went one beer, two beer, three beer. I don't know. And it, then... Uh, it, was, it, it wasn't the number of the beers. It was the, the it, smashing the glass on your head and then darting off never to be seen again until tonight. Although I did stop real quick to, like, dump 200 bucks at a craps table and then start running away again. <laughs> Like, oh, the dead live. Shot, ah. shot. Shot, shot. Fuck, I lost. Oh, the dead live. <laughs> Pretty much. That's about how it went. I was like, the devil's real. The devil's real. The devil. Snake eye shit. The devil's real. The devil's real. Well, it's too bad that you didn't roll a two because joining us tonight, live via the Interocitor for a crossover event, both Jeremy and Brad from the Deuce. How's it going, fellas? Hey, yo. Hey, yo. <laughs> Welcome back, man. Hey, thank you. You were all over the place yeah I, you're, you're trying to follow you it's like carmen san diego but uh you know for, reeking of alcohol for people who have the uh private account who could follow my social media ventures that it was a little it's, it's been a little crazy lately <laughs> life took a turn for me <laughs> but no i i feel you with that whole uh aaron Rodgers thing it's it's a painful moment in life, and it cause when a loved one when something bad happens to a loved one, you you shift. How is he a loved one? He's just somebody you bet on. He is a Green Bay Packer, you motherfucker! You shut your goddamn whore mouth. <laughs> it's just football, man. I will kill you dead. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. My my parents are Vikings fans. Ah, your parents yeah. suck. Uh, they do not. You can't hold that one thing against them. I can't right? too. You just watch me. <laughs> Spoken like a true Packers fan. <laughs> All right, folks. So we're not actually here to talk about football tonight, but we are going to talk about mm, skins being removed. Yes. Uh, change. Yes. <laughs> Metamorphosis. Yeah. Transformations. Mm -hmm. Wolves of where? Yeah. Oh. Werewolves. There. Uh, werewolves. 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 Everywhere are werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> Old McDonald had a farm. Actually, he didn't have a farm. He had a colony. A colony. That's actually the plan for the crossover event tonight. We are actually going to do Howling One on our show, and then you will have to walk your way on over to the Deuces feed to check out us talking about Howling Two. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Oh, at the fuzzy end of the lollipop. <laughs> Weird that you use the phrasing fuzzy in this film because <laughs> yeah. there's a whole lot of lollipops that are fuzzy in ways that are making us all uncomfortable. And, mm, yeah. and rather than beating around the excessive amount of werewolf sex bush that we have going on in both of these films, <laughs> why don't we just go ahead and take a little break here? We'll play a promo for a podcast. We'll have a little bit of music. And when we come back, we will have the trailer from Howling One. Hollywood released the first sequel in 1916. I'm sure you can all say it along with me. Los Locos kick your butt. Los Locos kick your face. Los Locos kick your balls into outer space. Which is poetry. Yeah, right it is. There. But not uh, enough gangs have theme songs. And they've been churning them out ever since. Uh, the catcher, played by Tom Bergeron, whose name is... Tom Berenger. Tom Berenger. Did I say Tom, Tom Berenger? You said Tom, Tom Bergeron. Bergeron from Dancing with the Stars is in this movie. Hi, I'm that. the catcher. <laughs> How do you sort out the good... Fred is the real hero of this movie. Oh. He's employing the homeless. He's he getting really back is. on their feet. Yeah. And he promised them uh, McDonald's. From the bad. Usually he's crying a lot more when he's making this much <laughs> sexual small talk with a woman. Yeah. Uh, so kudos to him for keeping it together. From the ugly. 
true fact, at this point in the movie, I wrote pointless, pointless, pointless. <laughs> <laughs> I had written birds, birds, I I, birds. I think I threw my notebook like what three times. Yeah, like at I the was, end, I was having you put it back God. into your hand. But I wrote birds, birds, birds. <laughs> Join Brad and Jeremy. So, so Snooze Sue sneaks out. Yep, Snooze sneaks. I couldn't say Snooze sneaks. Snooze sneaks out. Snooze sneaks out. Snooze sneaks out to go find the military. <laughs> so, yeah, so Sue sneaks out. Sue sneaks out. <laughs> to, to go talk to the Silver Surfer because she wants to figure out. <laughs> to the Silver Surfer. To the Silver Surfer. <laughs> I think we completely lost it. <laughs> oh, eight episodes in. I think we're just. I think we're crazy. We're Good night, uh, folks. On the Deuce Podcast. Check us out on Facebook at thedeucepodcast.podbean.com, Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play. Well, I've never touched a bra before. Don't don't yell at me. You never touched a bra. <laughs> well, no, I mean, whatever. I've moved. I mean, I don't. No, I don't shop for. Just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, the sequel is king. exactly sure what being a wolf has to do with spending your money on a woman. I, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> that, that's that's a weird ass song. <laughs> so there's no sorts of uh, allegories about being a wolf. <laughs> and spending money on a, on a woman? Yeah. I think it's oh, yeah. because his, his name is Howling Wolf and he's, yeah. he's the Howling Wolf and he earns his money by being a Howling Wolf and therefore spends his money on women. Man, that's all fucking stretch to get to the point i don't i'm trying to find something i I know i'm just saying if that's the case that's a little too long i have no justification for that at all no that guy i don't know what that guy's talking about that song and now i'm mad about it well he's got the blues he's a he's a howling wolf he's got the blues and he's his woman's spending all of his money still pissed off fake blues fake blues blues? no that's the real blues (laughs) blues so uh now, Corey, I don't know if you remember this. Years ago, uh, for one of my birthdays, you actually got me a book that was called, uh, was it B.B. Uh, Wolf and the Three LPs? Yeah, absolutely. There was a story about like a, a blues singing wolf who was taken advantage of by uh, 
three pig record executives. Ooh. And he ends up killing him. It's kind of like I don't want to read that. Yeah, I do. It's like it kind of is like a he kills them and he goes to jail and like he's going to get executed and like it has this very like southern gritty blues feel to it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was awesome. Was Dee Wallace in that one too? Yes, actually, she was uh, in every like third frame. She was just in the background. You know what D. Wallace actually is in, though, fellas? What's that? This oh. trailer. Hey, it's D. The Howling. Somewhere in this city, in this human jungle, it begins. Just try. He's right there. What do you see? What's there, Karen? What do you see, Karen? What's there? Somewhere in these woods, in this primal, sensuous, secret place lies an experience too terrifying for words. And now, all anyone can do is watch and wait. Tonight I'm going to show you something make you believe. The Howling. There you are. She was in the trailer. She was. She was there. (laughs) was. And now she's actually in the movie that we're about to talk about. Now, as I I kind of mentioned this off mic, but I found that it's kind of easier for, at least for me, to basically just discuss things in more of an open forum, just kind of quick question and answer type format. So my first little question that I have or my note here is the opening five minutes of the film seem to be a smorgasbord of that guy style actors and actresses. We even have a that lady actress. Is Is there anyone in particular that you happen to know the name of that happens to be a that guy to everybody else that you saw in the opening that you recognized and lo- happened to love as an actor or actor. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name, uh, but he plays like the the news the news boss guy. That's actually one of mine as well. His name is Kevin yeah. McCarthy. Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy. Uh, and he was in uh, UHF. He was R.J. Fletcher in UHF. That's, and he was, that's uh, where uh, I remembered him from too. Yeah, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, the, yeah. the original Invasion yeah. of the Body Snatchers. That's where I know. Yeah him from but i also absolutely love uhf so yeah i did catch yeah. that too yep well he was in the sequel or he was in the remake of invasion of the body snatchers they had that kind of nod to the original one where he runs out in front of the car and says they're already there they're after them and yeah he's uh yeah he's one of those character actors that you're like oh that, that guy yeah I kind yeah, of he, I kind of always character. thought that the uh, invasion of the body snatchers from the 70s was sort of like a sequel where this is what happens when nobody believes him and it's too late. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, yeah, I kind of felt like that too. Matt, yeah. was there anybody in the beginning? The same minutes? guy. Same Kevin guy. McCarthy? And also from UHF. Yeah, that jumps out for everybody, yeah. I think. Now, this is kind of a cheat because you only see a portion of him at the very beginning, but the other one I wanted to mention is Robert Picardo. Yeah. He's the guy who plays well, Eddie Quist. Oh, okay, yeah. I until I, I saw him until I saw him later, I was like, holy crap, that's Robert Picardo. Yeah, completely against type. This is a character that, though you never see him play, he usually plays much more gentle and kind people. Yeah, or like that sleazy, swarmy. like not yeah, swarmy, sleazy, but more like um, sarcastic, very cold and sarcastic, like a business corporate shill kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. or the the doctor character from Star Trek he played, right? But he'll never <laughs> he never plays like this kind of psychopathic, no, never like no. very visceral, very violent human being, and he does it well. He's very creepy. Yeah, Joe, yeah, Joe Dante has him in. Was it in Gremlins Two? Yeah, isn't he a Joe Dante kind of? Uh, yeah, in Gremlins Two. He plays. Uh, he plays like the business guy who ends up making out with the girl Gremlin, and he uh, he was in 
inner space. Yes. He was the, what, the cowboy or yeah, whatever his name was. There he was like a badass hitman, and that was a weird thing for him, too. Yeah, but you don't really see him do anything because he just kind of gets knocked out real fast when yeah. he's getting hit on by Melanie Griffith. Now, him boning a gremlin is kind of weird, but that happens. <laughs> weird or hot? Both. <laughs> Weirdly <laughs> hot. <laughs> no, Robert Picardo... Dick Miller, Kevin McCarthy, all th- yeah. Yeah. all three yeah. of those actors are reused a lot. That's one of the things that I love about Joe Dante. He's one of those filmmakers that reuses a lot of actors in his films. And that's why I kind of wanted to mention this. And that was actually my next question was, what films do you recognize some of these actors from later Joe Dante movies? And we've kind of hit it. Robert Picardo shows up later on, and so does Dick Miller. And Dick Miller's in Gremlins and Gremlins 2 is Mr. Futterman. Robert Picardo's in Gremlins 2. Oh, well, yeah. Is Dick Miller in Matinee 2? I don't know if he is. Yes. Actually, Dick Miller and then one of the characters who was the co-author of the movie, the actor John Sales, is the, they're yeah. like a like a team of, I don't know how to put it, they're sort of like confidence men that work on behalf of John Goodman's character, uh, Lawrence and Woolsey. Robert Picardo. Isn't Robert Picardo in? I think he's in, he's yeah. the theater owner. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's the theater he owner, yeah. 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 Which was a great role. Gotta yeah. love Matt. <laughs> yeah, Matinee is probably my favorite Joe Dante film of all oh, time. Too. Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a great freaking movie. It it encapsulates everything about that era of films that he loves really really well, and it just showcases every single actor to their fullest of their ability. And it's definitely, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's my favorite film, and I think it might be his best film that he's made. Um, yeah. If my wife is here, I'll say second only to the Burbs. To the Burbs. <laughs> yeah, because she wouldn't. Please don't hurt us. Yeah. <laughs> right. What was the what was the the movie in matinee? Was it Mant? Mant. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Yes. No. I, I actually want to see. I wanted to see that movie. That's one of the best fake trailers to a movie I want to actually see. Is Mant? Is Mant? Yeah. One you can get some movies that are fairly close to that from that era too. Yeah, but I mean from Joe Dante. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Sort of like a grindhouse thing where he actually makes the movie that is just a joke from one of the trailers, yeah. like they did with Machete. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Did you guys catch Roger Corman's cameo? No. No. Did you? No. When D. Wallace is making the phone call or getting the phone call in the phone booth from Eddie Quist and she gets her instructions and then she leaves the phone booth, the older gentleman with the silver fox hair who walks into the phone booth and she says, excuse me to, is Roger Corman. Are you kidding me? Nope, that's Roger Corman. And a lot of the folks that are in this movie are actually Roger Corman alumni because that's how Joe Dante got his start. Yeah. And it's a real quick cameo and you just, like I said, if you kind of blink it, you'll miss it, but you'll... He actually is in there, and it's right as she leaves the uh, the phone booth. Roger Corman's the man who turns around and walks in there. It's funny because the guy when he when he comes up, I thought something was going to happen with him because she was like, "Oh, there's a guy outside" or whatever it was. But he comes inside, and I thought, "Uh oh, is somebody going to come up to the booth and shoot him, or is like something going to happen?" I mean, I've seen it before, but like, I it always stands out to me that I feel like something was important about that and i didn't know it was roger corman that's why we focused on it like we did oh, okay yeah yeah there's a couple of cameos in this film that are sort of blinking you miss it and if you don't know who you're looking for you're not going to really see it um but that's the first one that pops up in the film is roger corman there at the phone booth that's going to lead us to our first clip hello eddie i knew you'd come karen we have a lot to talk about you and me can i turn around and see you not yet, Karen. Just watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She asked me directions to it. Well, how long ago? Well, a couple of minutes. She didn't feel a thing, Karen. 
None of them do. They're not real, the people here. They're, they're dead. They could, they could never be like me. But you're different, Karen. I watch you on TV, and I know how good I can make you feel. I'm gonna light up your whole body, Karen. Turn around now, Karen. I wanna give you something. Yeah, yeah, there's a broad that came in here. She emptied the place out. She's watching movies. <laughs> oh my God, Jesus Christ. Put your piece away. Put that piece away. I knew I shouldn't have left that broad back here. Thanks on here. Okay. <clears throat> Arena Verbin Terra ended early tonight in a bizarre shootout at a Western Avenue adult. No knife, no gun, no nothing. The freak was clean. Now, what the hell happened back there? Don't ask me, Lieutenant. Ask Quick Draw McGraw here. Assailant died in an attempted assault of KDHB anchorwoman Karen White, who had been receiving calls from him in connection with a recent series of brutal murders in the downtown area. I can't Tomorrow's make all right? Karen White's exclusive It's okay, they said we could go home in a few minutes. I talked the old man out of putting me on camera tonight. That was big of you. We'll tape something later on when you feel up to it. I don't know. Whatever happened in your own words, nothing newsy. I don't know what happened in there. I don't, I don't remember. All right, so that clip actually leads me to my next question here. Do you feel that D. Wallace can play traumatized and vulnerable characters very well? Yes. Um, Jake, uh, oh, yeah. Isn't that what she does? That's yeah. kind of her bread and butter, is it not? <laughs> That's her bread and butter, right? Yeah. yeah. And honestly, like part of this movie too, and, and this one especially, I mean, she, she does that very well. We've seen it in other things, Cujo right. and, um, you know, just to, to name one off the top of my head, but. In this, I think she does a great job of like representing that post-traumatic stress disorder. Like she totally has PTSD well, through, and you know, you see like the lights trigger her, yeah, or certain things trigger true. her. She has these nightmares. I mean, she's she's has this trauma, and and she's dealing with it. And it wasn't just her going, "No, I can't be on the news." It was that she is seeing things that are drawing her back into it, and she's. We see these flashes, but really it's we get the sense that it's just that right. like emotion that is hitting her in a wave all of a sudden. So, no, I think she does a, a great job. Didn't I tell you that if this was uh, shot nowadays, they just give her drugs and tell her to come back a week later? Yeah, pretty she'd much. be fine. Yeah, you'd yeah. be fine. Also, by the way, I do love uh, I was like, oh, God, with the whole. I knew I shouldn't let that broad back here. <laughs> that broad's back here. Uh, it's the broads that get everybody shot. And actually, earlier he even says yeah. it was her fault that all the customers left because who wants to be jerking their gherkin when there's some chick around? <laughs> uh, besides Matt, because he's got restraining orders for that? <laughs> Correct. That is that is true. I mean, they're not really restraining orders. They never saw me. <laughs> It was a compliment, people. <laughs> that actor he that means it the nicest way. They don't know anything, man. I mean, it's hard to see anything at night in the bushes. That actor that you're talking about too said that we shouldn't let broads back here was actually the fake Ramones manager from Rock and Roll High School, which Joe Dante actually co-directed a few shots in for Alan Arkin when he got sick. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's how he knows him I'm, from filling in on that movie. That's funny. But yeah, I was just like, are you kidding me? Like serial killer, you know, trying to kill this lady. Obviously he's killed other people, but eh, them damn broads. 
They bring it on themselves. I think it's the pervasive attitude of this era, and I know that that kind of stuff really blares out at me watching these kind of films now, because that bugged yeah. me a lot, too, where I was just like, shut up, you porn-peddling bastard. Well, the whole, like, put your piece away. Like, it was just, it was just, you know, eh, the, the cops shot somebody. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now, do you feel that the film actually does handle the trauma that D. Wallace goes through rather delicately for the era? Um, I think they called it out in a way. I think they called it out in a way. I think even for today, you know, I think we understand right. it a lot better and we recognize this kind of like what, trauma what are you a lot talking better. about like the late 70s, early 80s. You're talking about like the self-help, like, you know, books movement. Not even that. Like how she... You're talking about like how she's experiencing it or how it's represented oh, okay. by her, right? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, and how the film actually handles it by showing basically some of the downfall of the people around her and the way that they react to it. It doesn't it doesn't portray, say, Christopher Stone's character of William, the way that he reacts where he's trying to be supportive, but he just doesn't get it and he doesn't know what to do, I think is pretty accurate for a significant other or a spouse that really has no idea the trauma of what you're going through and what's causing this type of trigger for your PTSD. And they kind of get at their wits end and they don't know what to do or how to react to it and i think at the start of it before they even get up to the colony you really kind of see where he just wants her to be the wife or girl that he was with before and he wants her yeah. to be better and he's really supportive at least at the start whereas the co-workers and some of the other people that are pig-headed and kind of old-fashioned and like all this dame stuff are reacting to her in such a way like particularly kevin mccarthy's character where he's just basically like what she can't handle her emotions get her off the fucking air you know he's like a real prick and I, I think it's very scathing for the people in the way that they react to her negatively but it's also very gentle in the way that it react for the people that react kindly to her I think they're portrayed in a way that they kind of should be and it's it was very surprising for me watching it this time around so there was one thing I caught that I thought was really interesting um, and it's that same scene that you were saying where she goes on she's like I can do this I can do this she gets up there and she starts losing it under the lights and she you can see she's kind of getting freaked out and they cut away. And of course, the other news, like the, the other anchor is kind of like, OK, I'm just doing my my business. But he uh, he looked concerned for her. But the thing that got me was her friend, um, the other her reporter friend. She runs up there and she like turns her head towards her and just looks her in the eyes and like establishes that like you're here with us you know it was just very like i don't know if she got the instruction to do that bit or whatever um but if it isn't it makes me question like has she been through something before where she had a friend who experienced some trauma and she knew what worked and she knew how to kind of like ad lib that or did she experience something and have some sort of a hardship where she knew what worked for her you know, we know, especially now, you know, we, we there's more light on uh, these experiences that, that right. women go through. Right. And so it makes me wonder if she brought some of that, even though it wasn't something that we really talked about. Did she bring some sure. of that to the scene? Sure. And I just wanted her to get off screen because I like the Asian lady. I bring like back the, the Asian lady. I like that Asian lady better. <laughs> the oriental lady or whatever they yeah, oriental oh god yeah. oh, racially insensitive Jesus, shit that, Jeremy no that's in the movie oh, no, that's what they said in the movie <laughs> that's Matt. what they said uh, alright alright right. the actress that you're referring to is Belinda Belaski and she is yes. the, the lady who plays the character of T 
Carrie. Now, I don't know if you guys recognize her or not from Gremlins. Yeah. She was the woman who asked Miss Deagle for a little more time because her husband Joe's been getting extra shifts and she's taken up a little sewing on the side and they'll be able to make the payments. That's her. Oh, yeah. I did not recognize her. Uh, Harris? Is that her name or something like that? I, I can't think of her yeah, name. I think that sounds about right. But yeah. um, I felt that she actually did an excellent job in this movie and I kind of wish oh, she would have gotten more roles from Joe Dante. Yeah. Yeah, outside of just that bit. <laughs> I uh, I actually liked her in this movie better than Dee Wallace, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so, too. Yeah. There's a certain amount of time where Dee Wallace is on screen with her vulnerability and her fragility to where it gets to the point where it grates on you, where she's so yeah. damaged that even you become uncomfortable watching her being damaged like that. Uh, yeah. There's not much you can do about that. Uh, it gets that way for me with Cujo more so because there's a lot of stuff that she's dealing with and then the fucking kids screaming all the time. It just, yeah. it just gets you in the darkest parts of the recesses of your brain. Honestly, like watching this movie especially now I keep thinking I almost wanted this to be two different movies. I wanted there to be one where D Wallace was in it dealing with like the trauma and stuff. Like I wanted to see that drama from the era uh, and then have a werewolf movie. Like it was, <laughs> it was almost like I'm either bought in with the, the, the trauma piece or I'm bought into the werewolf piece. Not me. I think it mixes well. It does. Yeah. But eventually I mean, it's a slow burn. It's a slow burn, but I think it's fine. Yeah, I think eventually it starts maybe losing my attention just a little bit, just because of the amount of time it takes to get where it's going. I like allegories, and I like allegories done well, and this movie, you know, mixes that allegory of uh, her, her trauma and the werewolfness. So I, I, I say... I like that it's one one big movie. The fact is that her trauma that she's experiencing is actually seeing Eddie Quist transforming as a werewolf before her, which is what he wanted her to witness, which is very much an allegory for the violation, sexually speaking, that he right. was supposed to be doing, that everyone else thinks is what happened. Right. And her coming to terms with what she's seeing and then having it be to where everyone around her in the colony is a werewolf as well really gives that kind of victim perspective from someone who has PTSD. PTSD, where you start seeing your attacker in other people or that type of mentality, even if they aren't actually an attacker, it's just something that those those triggers and those warnings and those those fears of being hurt again kind of flare out in a human being. And I think that that really works well, especially because as she becomes more and more aware of what's happening to her and what's going on with Eddie and dealing with these things that are happening, so everyone else around her reveals who they are and their true natures more and more to real who yeah, the werewolves are. It's almost more of like a, the horror aspect of it for me is the fact that like she's alone in this, that everyone that she's trusted on this retreat, she can't trust now. That to me is even worse. Because yeah. now she has this P- PTSD, you know, trauma, and she can't deal with it. Because, or she tries to deal with it, and then when she realizes all these people that she talked to are werewolves, the thing that she's there for, yeah, you know, th- that has to be like even more terrible. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You could almost take werewolfism out of the film altogether and insert some other type of nefarious, monstrous thing, not just necessarily vampires or monsters, but like, let's say it's a satanic cult and Eddie Quist is not necessarily a werewolf, but he's one of these rogue guys that goes out and maybe procures people for a sacrifice or something along those lines. And they use the fact that she was victimized by him to draw her into the fold and try and make her an occultist as well or something along those lines. It Mm -hmm. actually fits for storytelling wise to have have 
the experience that she had and the trauma that she's suffering kind of wrap around that whole entire storyline. Yeah. All right, the next question. Mm -hmm. Does Eddie Quist's apartment scream serial killer to anyone? Oh, yeah. It does to me. No, I think it reminds me of Matt's basement. Well, now, hold on. What do you mean my basement, you prick? (laughs) 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 You've never seen my basement. This How is, do you know? It never, this is just it a backhand way for you to do, I've never seen your place, and I'm starting to wonder. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, of course we have werewolf pictures up everywhere. Oh, everywhere. That's what we got them at the colony. If you don't know that they're werewolves at first, it just looks like the man's obsessed with like these man, hairy man beast types. And then you see all the articles of the killings and see, various now, things that have happened. So that is something that would be in their apartment. Hairy man beast types. We're not going to have, we're not going to have wolves. We're going to have bears in our apartment. Yeah. Werebears. Werebears. Yeah. Werebears. Care bears. Their bears. Right there on the sky. I don't even want to know what symbols on that care bear, Jeremy. <laughs> Butt plug. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And with that, that leads us to our next clip. So what's the story on our next Norman Rockwell? Well, this sort of person, they're controlled by the right hemisphere of the brain. Now, um, that dominates the non-rational, the artistic, the creative impulses. It's not unusual for for a killer to draw as well as that. That's not a bad angle, Doc. Would you mind putting that on tape for us? Not at all. We're trying to push Fred for a half-hour special called The Mind of Eddie Quist, although we're focusing really on the beast in all of us. Good idea. So you found the last name? Signed his work? It's right there. So he did. Hello. Are you sure you're up to this? I'm not diving in here first. That's what the old man said. I bet he did. I sure did. Here's our girl. Hi, Fred. Hi. Well, we're going to make ratings history tonight. You're going to be the cynosure of all eyes. What is that? That means that everybody is going to be watching you. Everybody wants to see the lady who caught Eddie the Mangler. Terrific. You have my copy? Yes. Good luck. Boy, she seems shaky. Look fine to me. All right, everyone, we'll go in 10 seconds. Let this be the last stop for your car. Keep your runabout running right. Five, four, three. This is KDHB TV, Channel 6, Los Angeles. Up on two. Now, here is Karen White. Good evening. No. Get off her. Thank you. Get her out of there. Reports from health officials at the scene of today's chemical Expose all company in El Monte. Proclaim no immediate danger to nearby residential areas. Let's pause now for an editorial from our general manager, Fred W. Francis. Here's Fred. There's been a lot of talk in the past month about our culture of violence. Who knows? Maybe she's pregnant. We Listen, get in touch with that Fujiyama Fujimoto or whatever the hell her name is and get her ready for the 11 o'clock report. Now there is a pro. You can't be afraid of dreams. I can't help it. All I remember is pushing open the door and then I'm outside and the police are there and Bill's there and the remote crew and it's over. And there's this blood on me and I can't imagine who it might have come from. Can't remember anything that happened inside the booth? No, not really. Just weird little pieces in my dreams. How are you and Bill? Trying to communicate. Okay, tell me, doctor, how crazy am I? Completely banal. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I'm going to recommend that you go out to the colony for a week or two. Your place up north there? That's right. Now, I only recommend it to very special patients, ones who I think will benefit from its environment. It's a place where you can recharge your batteries. It'll enable you to try and get back to what you really are. What goes on up there? Well, seminars, some group therapy. It's very low-key. Be a good place to try and tackle this amnesia thing. I don't know if I want to remember. What? 
Doc said once I remembered what happened, it wouldn't scare me anymore. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Honey, give this place a chance, okay? We gotta do something. Well, I hope these people aren't too weird. All right, prominently featured in that clip is the late, great Patrick McNee. A lot of people will probably recognize yes. him from the Avengers. The Avengers. Yeah. Now, I happen to recognize him from both Waxwork 1 and 2 as Sir Wilfred. I know him from the Oasis music video, uh, Don't Look Back in Anger. He's the chauffeur driving them around. There you go. <laughs> I guess if you're an Oasis fan, you would get that. I'm not. And so I, am. I, I didn't. I didn't recognize him from that. I've, I don't think I've even yeah. seen that. <laughs> didn't he? He, he had a uh, God. He's been in everything. I think he pops yeah, up he in like that. all sorts of TV and things like that. But I think the thing that most people will recognize him from the Avengers, I would say. And then I think he had a stint where he popped up a little bit in a few James Bond movies, if not at least one, if not two, I think is a reoccurring character. I don't know those well enough. I remember him being in one of them. I think it was might have been a view to a kill or something like that i am unsure sure. of that i, I don't know <laughs> i know the oasis video Did I mention that? <laughs> yes you, you you mentioned that he was the chauffeur in the oasis video well i and i i used to see him on the avengers yeah um but i didn't and i also saw him in all sorts of stuff and it wasn't until god it was actually was fairly recently where i was like oh my god it's that same guy like yeah. i didn't connect that they were the same people because i knew the young version of him and the old version of him. Right. Yeah, but right. you don't really see like the middle <laughs> the middle ground where he's like starting to age and getting the little salt and pepper hair and things like that. A lot of those movies are kind of <laughs> yeah. lost to time on TV show appearances. But Patrick McKee is another one of those actors that's totally the that guy where as soon as that he pops guy. up, you recognize him. Yes. Yes. Can I also say I enjoyed the yacht rock music during that clip at the end. <laughs> there is like dance to it. Yeah, there's a bit of excessive yacht rock. <laughs> I will give you that. Does the barbecue on the beach look like fun to anybody here? Um, no. It looks like there's a lot of flies at that barbecue for me. <laughs> I don't know, it just seems dirty. But eating 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 anywhere with sand seems wrong. Right. So doing a cookout on a beach just seems like a bad idea. It does. No luau's for you guys ever. I guess no. not. No. <laughs> I I thought it looked interesting because it was like, it was earthy and there was all sorts of people of all sorts of backgrounds who um the one thing they all had in common was that they loved Fujiyama Fujimoto more oh, than they did Karen. They, that's true. <laughs> Get that Asian girl on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, Karen's including her boss, thing. because at least Fujiyama Fujimoto was a professional. That's a real pro. Yeah, a real pro. Yes. She can handle near-rape trauma night like nobody's business and be back on the <laughs> news by nine. I want to go back to that clip we just listened to, and I love the uh, I love her husband who's like, we got to do something, baby. You, you got to really shake this. But really, well, that means is I'm getting tired of dealing with you. No, I don't get that inclination just first. No, from I don't him. get that. Not, not at this yeah. point. I thought I kind of got when I was watching it. I was like, that's oh. because that's what your reaction would be. But that's not <laughs> how other people. <laughs> but, but there is, like, there's, a, there's a point of you start to see the frustration, and it's, I think it's before they head out, even to the the colony. Um, you know, yeah, we've talked about he he just wants his wife back. But I think it's starting to affect him on a personal level, too, because they show where he's trying to be romantic with her. Yeah. I mean, and she, true. you know, kind of freaks and she's like, I'm sorry, it's just too soon. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. The best time to be romantic is at Burning Man, because that's what it reminded me of. All this hippie comedy. Oh, yeah. 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 
back at the beach reminds you of Burning Man? Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know. To me, it was a little grody, but that's just me. I just felt Well, like that is Burning Man. It's a little bit grody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and a lot of well, weird sex I, going on. Yep. Yeah. I was and someone's sure burying a pig. Like, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, that's what they do there. That's code. For police officer? I hope so. Oh, my God. Jesus, God. man. Oh. <laughs> Woo! Things just got dark, kids. <laughs> yeah, well, anytime somebody talks about off in a pig, that's the first thing I think of. Oh, my God. What? Jesus oh. Christ, Gord. Oh. Oh. Clearly, you are in a bad space right now. <laughs> God almighty. <laughs> you should try being in the room with him. Whoa. I'm just, I'm emanating fucking hate and death like omega red over here i mean it's bad (laughs) you actually have an aura now and it is nothing but pure red rage all right so back to the notes here and we'll just ignore the fact that i'm full of hate and spite (laughs) when john carradine wants to kill himself by jumping into the fire do you think that this is real life and they just filmed it or was it him actually acting (laughs) (laughs) yes <laughs> yes, on both accounts. All of the yes. above. <laughs> I, I usually I don't get that inclination because John Carradine's one of those actors where you know whenever you see him in the film, even he slummed it for a lot worse than The Howling. This is actually one of the better films that he's done his little cameo appearances in. But that moment where he's like, "My teeth are soft and I've just had it," I kind of wonder if the real man is just kind of letting those frustrations of aging and feeling yourself fall apart nope. loose for that scene. But I do have new last words I'm going to say before I die, which are. My teeth are soft. <laughs> well, and, and this goes back. I love this. I love this bit in movies where they are pretty much flat out saying, here's the situation. Like if you listen and observe what's going on, it totally makes sense about them being werewolves. Totally does. And like he's talking about with his teeth are getting soft and this and this. Like and I, I like when they do that, when you don't, they're just blatantly saying it, but you don't get it until later. And then you're in on the, the bit as well. I like when they do that in movies. Um, it was like that with um, trick or treat. The, actually, again, the werewolf scene. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, they have this whole huge conversation. Like the women have this whole huge conversation and uh, eventually you realize that they're talking about people. Right. And not just like things they were eating or doing this and this or these guys they were sleeping with. Like the conversation takes on new meaning once you know what the joke is. Not the joke, but the bit. Yeah. Once the once once the twist is finally revealed, you can actually go back and watch. With this movie, The Howling, I've watched it several times. It's I'm no big shock to anybody. It's one of my favorite werewolf movies. But I've gone back and watched it several times, and those little subtle clues and those hints and that little pieces of dialogue that kind of reveal who they are. They become and I hate to use the term because I think it's overused, but they're they're almost like these little Easter eggs that you hunt for, where you'll see these little hints and these clues, just like you discussed there, Jeremy. And it makes the rewatchability that much more enjoyable particularly for me, because you can find all that stuff and you'll be like, oh yeah, that's totally what he's saying. Exactly what you mentioned about the teeth getting soft and everything. And the fact that like, he really doesn't have a way out because there's two options in this world for these werewolves to die. And one of them is fire. And the only time he gets a chance is when they have a cookout. So maybe that's when he's like, I'm finally going to muster up the courage to end it. Just let me end it. But they're all around and they won't let him. And then he gets back to normal when he knows he can't end it and he doesn't have a chance. And it's almost like, it's almost like this never ending torture for his particular, particular character because he doesn't want to go on anymore 
how old of a werewolf do you have to be to be that decrepit? <laughs> right? Yeah, I'd be pretty goddamn old at this point. <laughs> yeah. And the one lady even says, oh, this is just his normal little routine where he's just looking for attention. So he's done this multiple times where he's tried to get out and, and hasn't. He's like the drunk guy in college that gets completely hammered and has to smash a window in the dorm and scream out his ex-girlfriend's name because, like, if he punches out the window, maybe she'll come back to him. I told you that in private. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Matt. I'm going to have to out you on that. (laughs) And it's it's worse, man. I I didn't even break the window. He couldn't even get that done. (laughs) All he did was break his knuckles on the window. (laughs) And then I just fell into my bed and cried. (laughs) I just see him swinging and hearing the of like the glass as he hits it and he goes, No, guys, it's even worse. I didn't even hit the glass. I just swung wildly, missed, fell to the ground and cried. He threw out his shoulder when he misses and falls <laughs> to the ground and cries. Openly weeping. I'm going to say Matt would be a fun werewolf. <laughs> yeah, because yeah I- but all the transformations seem really painful and I'm not into it. Oh, I am. I am. You're into painful transformations for me or... Oh, yeah, for you. I'm, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how that would work uh, for Matt to be a werewolf because he's really, really lazy. I am. Your trans- That's what I mean. You would, your, your transformations would look like uh, just basically like when the werewolves are half transformed, like when they just start to transform and then like their faces are wolfed out. It wouldn't even get there. I'd get one fang and go, I'm done. You'd be like half a face would be transformed. You'd be like, fuck it. I'm going to eat something now. Not even that far. One fang. I'm done. <laughs> Woo, I'm tired. Your hair grows and you're worn out. Yeah. If he would be a werewolf, I want him to be because I could easily run away from him. <laughs> I know my luck too. As a werewolf, I'd still have a bald spot. <laughs> oh, come on. We'll get that we'll get to that in the next movie. Yeah. <laughs> but in order to listen to that, you're gonna have to tune in to the Deuces podcast feed to check out the howling too, where we talk about bald werewolves. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> All right, so the character of Marsha, for me, happens to be the least sexualized nymphomaniac in film history. Any thoughts? Least sexualized? Yeah. I agree. It was Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. But was she the one who wore turtlenecks, or was she the one who looked like um, like, uh, BB from The Apple? She had the leather outfits at all times. Some of them were yeah. there just specifically yeah. to relieve, release her breasts <laughs> in certain ways. But she just, yeah. she felt completely and utterly uninterested in sex, but they called her a nympho. To me, it looked like she was just constantly insatiable for a meal. It wasn't about sex for her. It was food. Like she seemed like she just wanted to like consume more than just right. actually have sex. But I think the way that they kind of play it off in the movie for the other werewolves is, oh no, she's just a nympho maniac when in reality she's looking to literally eat william neal right she's more she's more gluttonous instead of you know lust yeah yeah but at the same time they dress her in what is supposed to be this like very evocative and sexy outfits but they're just these weird uncomfortable semi-leather dresses that make her look like a cross between a native american stereotype and a stereotype of a gypsy that doesn't quite work yeah she looks like a disco hippie okay that's in Uh, yeah that's in this fall well, it was seriously, no, it, it looked like she had on some sort of disco outfit. Yeah, she did. But then also with like beads and like nature stuff. And so like, I, I guess one of the things that gets lost on me in the movie is like the whole, uh, like I get the doctors brought them together. And I, I like the idea of that maybe they would defend the commune because it's their pack. 
But then when they're like, ah, we should have stuck with the old ways. And, you know, she starts coming out and trying to be nymphorific. You know, I, I like the idea of, I like the idea of like hippie earthy werewolves. They would like, be connected to nature. It absolutely makes yeah, sense. Yeah, right. In with nature, you know, and they don't kill because they're, you know, monsters that are, or they're horrible. They do it because it's part of the circle of life and their nature of themselves as animals. Um, and then you just have Quist, who is part of them, but is almost like radicalized. You know, he strays from that. Hey, so. hey man, are we werewolves? Are we humans turned into werewolves? Or werewolves <laughs> turned into humans? Who knows? <sighs> there actually are Native American style of uh, shapeshifters yeah, there in is certain beliefs where they're well, not not just skinwalkers, but they're wolves that will take the, like spirits that are wolves normally that will take the shape of men in order to teach man uh, lessons about respecting nature or something along those lines, or or to be a part of nature or to be a guide. But they are primarily wolves yeah. through through an oral tradition through uh, Native American culture. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Uh, but there's also the skinwalkers as well, where they literally put on animal skins and then become that animal, which is something completely different. But those are more not necessarily the conservationists. They're more almost like a wendigo where it's a monstrous not right against nature type of creature that you need to be leery of because they can be you know human man like man eaters and things like that as well the type of thing that we know as werewolves from our film traditions that kind of popped up in the modern age have more akin to like wendigos and, and skinwalkers i think than just the the regular werewolves that we know over in europe which are a completely different <laughs> brand of werewolf as well where they're terrorizing uh, villages and things like that. <laughs> All right, so there's my next question. Were these kinds of group psychiatric retreats really a thing back then? Yeah. I'm sure they were. I, I think so. Are. I bet they still yeah. are, yeah. 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 Is it like a I'm, shared thing where everybody has a certain issue that is this commune is specific for? Or is it just overall just health and wellness where you would have this retreat instead of, say, checking yourself into a psychiatric hospital, you would go on the weekends to, to work through some things or something? It, it just depends. Like, I think they have just like anything, they have them, some that are probably specific, but I know they're and hell, they were way older than this, too. I mean, if you look back at, uh, Kellogg, uh, the, the the guy who did Kellogg's, what was his name? Henry, I don't know. Henry uh, Kellogg? Henry Kellogg. <laughs> Fattiest Q Kellogg. <laughs> uh, he, um, you know, they have that movie, The Road to Wellville. They had these things where people would go to these retreats or like these things out in the countryside and they would get a regimen of whether that was sexual stimulation or yeah. whether it was like, hey, we were eating healthy or, you know, it was just yeah. for the atmosphere or um, there were ones that were built around uh, like springs where the, wa the, the water that came out of the springs was supposed to be like rejuvenating. I mean, you, you used to get these. Yeah, I'm sure they're, they're still, you know, relevant nowadays. They're just more marketed wise and, and they, they, they probably sell more stuff at yeah. these events to say, oh, you need this. You need these healing stones kind of thing. Oh, yeah. You well, know, yeah, to just to add on to it. I yeah. just yeah. picture that they morphed into condos. Probably, true. <laughs> Where you can go and do like kind of the the earthy nature thing for a short portion of time, and they gear it to higher price clientele. Think of like uh, glamping. Glamping was a big thing. Glamping, you yeah, mean glamorous glamping? camping? Yeah, yeah, they called okay. it glamping. Yeah. 
My wife then, has actually gone on one of those. She's gone to one of those glamp places. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Your wife went with them. Yeah. yeah. It was a whole group thing they did. Did they tell you about it? Like, what was, what you know, like, did they have TV or? It's, like, uh, it, in this particular place, it was like a really fancy, very big canvas tent. They had, uh, like, camp style beds that were, like, with comforters and everything like that. They were just, like, it's upscale camping. Um, They go even more extreme than what this one was. This one was sort of just like a moderate type thing, but they had like fire pits and the the tents were up on uh, up on like platform kind of things that you would walk up into and it was almost like a like those canvas style cabins that can be thrown up into the woods you know somewhere for camping and stuff like that but are like really like almost like an army tent style <laughs> but it's meant uh, for like, okay, meant for, like I gotcha. two people or whatever that would be you know just like a, a more fancy upscale space and I think it even had like a potbelly stove in the one that they went in the tent instead of outdoor campfires or both or something like that yeah and it was like at a winery or something so I, that kind of retreat i could see for like a vacation and things but this just seems like to me where it's a way to check yourself into a psychiatric hospital but without actually saying that that's what you're doing you're just saying oh i'm going to the colony you know and i just didn't know that that sort of I, removes I, the stigma yeah and i can see where that especially in the 80s because there was a lot of backlash against mental health stuff particularly in the 80s where you know a lot of this you see it in a lot of the films and the culture of the tv where people automatically go oh well, you're a psycho huh or you need therapy huh and they're really against it and it has a very negative backlash yeah. and i could see where something or, like that would thrive in this era or the other aspect of like oh you oh you're getting help oh you think you're better than me yeah <laughs> you're big no, time that, happens, you need help. that oh. actually happens a lot in in, in culture and it's yeah. it's sickening and wrong because if you need help go get help yeah or you're or you're faking it you're just a wuss right. yeah because you can't deal with whatever yeah no the um you know, I think you you still see it today too with like um like rehab places. Yeah, you think about yeah. like they rehab went from being like, hey, this you know necess like you see, yeah, they have the ones where they're like they have necessity like hospitals and whatever else. But then you also see where these big name stars go to either just rest or you know deal with like alcohol or the stress or whatever it is. But they have all these events for them to go to and they have all these like, you know, we're going to be doing these big name things. We're communing with other stars or whatever it is. But I mean, you still see that today in one way, shape or form. I just think that, you know, you're looking at this one where it was a genuinely about health. And then you look at some more examples today where it's more about like a, hey, we're going to say this is a health thing and we're just going to give you a bunch of fancy stuff and collect big money but you know maybe it's not really doing those things we just it's just a a thing a rich person can buy into mm -hmm. once again we're back to condos <laughs> yep all right, now this is a very serious Sophie's choice. You have to choose one or the other. You don't get to choose both. Okay. Slim Pickens, music or acting? Oh. Um, Pat, uh, music, acting. You would rather have him acting, okay? Yes, Jeremy. Uh, I would rather have him acting. Music, acting for me as well. Oh. While I don't dislike Slim Pickings' music, hmm. he is a delightful actor. Everything he pops up in, I really enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> even when he's just doing voiceover work. Yeah. <laughs> 
He was eating a can of Wolf Brand chili. Yes, he was. There's a lot of little hints and clues and things like that. Did you notice one of the characters was reading the book Howl? Howl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a Wolf Chili and then Howl. And there was a few other ones too. I can't remember them all off the top of my head. And I was going to notate them, but I just got sidetracked doing other stuff with the notes and, and clips. Even when Slim wolfed out, I felt like he was probably the nicest werewolf. Yeah, probably. <laughs> they kind of did a little laugh. <laughs> I was, yes, he was trying to run them down. Yeah. I was waiting for him to yell out all what in tarnation and then wolf out. (laughs) Okay, so hunting with a human being as your bloodhound, is that a massive red flag or what? Were they uh, the guy with the fur sweater or the fur vest? Yeah, the already looks like a wolf without even wolfing out guy in the fur coat that looks basically like a wolf boy from the sideshow. He just got let go, and then he's going to be their bloodhound. That's got to be a massive red flag. No, total coincidence. Don't worry about it. Nothing, nothing why, at all. Why are you such a wor- <laughs> why are you such a worry wart? Will you just calm down? So you guys use wolf boys for bloodhounds in this Wisconsin? All looks legit. If D Wallace is such a reporter, wouldn't she figure all this out? Come on, aren't you an investigative reporter? Well, well, she wasn't. She wasn't there for the hunt. That was her husband. But oh, even yes, yeah, for the hunt. Yeah, but I mean, before. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, but wouldn't wouldn't William actually get some kind of an inclination that something ain't right about that? I mean, a, a human being does not have the olfactory sense to actually be a bloodhound. You should have known something was wrong there. I know you never hunted before, but that just doesn't work. A human being is not going to be able to track like a freaking animal. Well, just but think of the context of it though. Like, you, okay. We know what's going on, and we have context. We know that it's going to be a wolf movie, right? So somebody has these senses. You're like, okay, werewolf. But think of, like, a person. William would never have believed in werewolves. I'm just going to call it out. He would never have believed in that. So if somebody says, yeah, I can smell whatever it is, if I was in that position, I would think, wow, this guy has like this upper range of medical, whatever it is. Like I would, I would justify it as reality rather than attributing it to mythical, whatever. You know, I wouldn't start going, Hmm, what mythical creatures do I know who have great you know, senses of smell? I would just think that he was, uh, had some, you know, enhanced human capacity. Like, you know, people who can lift a table with their teeth or, uh, you know, hang, weights from their nipples or whatever the hell it is what yeah i don't know what you're getting into here but for the record i'm into it (laughs) (laughs) no i I get what you're saying where you would find a way to kind of rationalize it and you'd be like huh wolf boy can smell out rabbits from miles away nothing weird about that guess he's just got special abilities but if you don't believe in werewolves you know then you would i think you would justify that with something and and say hey look this is probably a more realistic I also would probably be like, I'm going to get the hell out of here as soon as possible. That's not right. There, Maybe it's because I've seen too many horror movies and maybe that just starts to trigger things where I'm like, I shouldn't trust you. That doesn't seem natural. <laughs> I would get away from Wolf Boy just because he was creepy. Like, I think he was just generally creepy, but uh, that's why I would want to get, I wouldn't want to be in the woods with them. Like the, the little cadre of people he goes with or you know, a little, a little odd for my taste. And so I probably would have been like, no, that's no, thank you. I don't want to be alone in the woods with the weapons with you. Well, Not necessarily that, you know, wolf boy was 
dragging us around by the by his nose. Well, and also you've got John Carradine's character. He shows up and all of a sudden he's in a good mood and ready to hunt now with the guns and everything. And the night before he was begging to let everybody just let him throw himself into a fire. I'd be like, yeah, um, don't want to be around that guy with a handgun because he's clearly not right in the head. Yeah, he's he's looking for a way out. <laughs> there's there's nothing in this hunt that just says, yeah, I'm just going to go off and be a man. I think if anything, William feels threatened as a man and wants to be Mr. fucking John Wayne. And so he's yeah. trying to prove his merit and that's why he goes along with him and acts like that. And I think at the same time for the if you look at it from the perspective of the wolves this is almost like a pack initiation to see where he can fit in with the alphas the betas and the rest of the pack with of the wolves to see what he's made of in his merit before he actually joins their ranks you know it, it has kind of a duality if you look at it on both perspectives where he's trying to prove that he's a man and at the same time they're trying to see if he has what it takes to be one of them as a wolf yeah i get that and speaking of wolves, we need a little bit of an explanation about what's going on with this world. And if you're going to hire anybody to do exposition, it might as well be Dick Miller in our next clip. We get them all. Sun worshippers, moon worshippers, Satanists. The Manson people used to hang around here and shoplift. A bunch of deadbeats. Do you know of any groups that are into stealing corpses? Body snatching? If you want to read about it, I got a book for you. Slide me down. That's it. You name it, I got the book. A number of young women were killed in the next month. Their bodies exhibiting signs of animal attack. What's that? Warlocks, werewolves, and demons. Please, you're going to purchase, purchase. Not leave Maloney. Get him greasy. We'll find out if any of Eddie's killings were on a full moon. Hey, that's a lot of Hollywood baloney. Your classic werewolf could change shape any time it wants, day and night, whenever it takes a notion to. That's why I call them shapeshifters. I got a dozen books on it. What about killing it with silver bullets? Well, sure. Silver bullets are fire. It's the only way to get rid of the damn things. They're worse than cockroaches. They come back from the dead if you don't kill them right. Plus, they regenerate. You know what that is? Cut off an arm, cut off a leg, stick a knife in a heart. Nothing. They may look dead, but bam, three days later, they're as good as new. You believe in this? What am I, an idiot? I'm making a buck here. You want books? I got books. I got chicken books. I got dog embryos. I got black candles. I got wolf paint. Look at this. Silver bullets. Some joker ordered them. 3006. Never picked them up. I take Bank America, American Express, Visa. You gonna buy that or what? Uh, yeah, these two. Oh, there's some incredible old pictures in this book. That's a good book. I just want to say that I want an actual movie where Dick Miller runs a shop like this and he's just this nuts and bolts guy where all he cares about is I have this stuff. You buy this shit. You don't buy this shit. Get yeah. out of my store. There's a whole movie with different people coming in. I think I have a vampire problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what you want. I got some slide, slide me down over here. I'm up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I got yeah, your crosses. Down, I got your got holy water. Crosses, got some holy water. Here's a little garlic for you. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, do you believe in this stuff? I'm trying to make a buck, motherfucker. Just pay it. <laughs> yeah. You people come in here and don't buy anything you just like cockroaches. <laughs> it's true, though, that Jeremy's favorite Dick Miller roles in heart peeps. <laughs> it is. And mine's after hours, but you know, it truly is. Yeah. Pretty much Dick Miller in anything is the best. Oh, Dick Miller's amazing. Dick Miller's yeah. amazing. He's the ultimate that guy actor. And when you know his yes. name, he's no longer that guy. You just realize. And actually, Matt can attest to this. I named the clip Dick Miller is God. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> what you got? What you got? You got, you got a kid who's possessed. Okay, here's a number for a good priest. Uh, an exorcism Bible, and uh, here's some more holy water for you. Okay, see you later. That's gonna be twenty seven fifty. I got a priest. He gets me this stuff wholesale. I got all your holy water. Yeah. I got all your crosses. I yeah. got all. I got all your reliquaries. I everything you, you need. I got you taken care of. Everything's gonna be fine. Now the guy that he calls a cockroach and tells to get out of the store is another cameo, and that's actually the creator of Famous Monsters of Filmland, Forrest Ackerman. That's in the shop there, and he's actually, if you go back and watch it, you can see holding like kind of out of the back of his hand because he's got his arms crossed behind his back. He's holding a famous Monsters of Filmland and they kind of focus in on that and then they show his face for his cameo as well. That's why he was featured so prominently. Nice. Nice. Very cool. 
I, you know, I like this whole, I like the way they did the, the exposition here. Me too. And, I do too. Yeah. And so, and here's the thing, like we, we talk a lot about expository dialogue, especially on the deuce. Um, because a lot of times they're filling you yeah. in about you the kind of movie. have to with what we do. Yeah. yeah. And they, they and it's interesting how they do that. Sometimes they just come right out and tell you. Sometimes it's through like like uh, voiceover. Sometimes it's, you know, they just tell you as the story goes. I mean, we've seen all sorts of ways to do it. And I actually enjoy this because Dick Miller is like he's laying out the rules and he's not doing it like in a ooh, spooky way. He's no. just like he's doing he's it. He's so telling like him so matter of factly, like he's yeah. just knowledgeable on a subject. It's probably not. It's not real. But hey, this and this and this and this. I thought I was watching Law and Order. <laughs> or it's almost like, uh, yeah, my sink's clogged up. Oh, yeah, I got what you need over here. And this what you need. Yeah. yeah, he's just literally a part supplier for yeah. fighting supernatural things. Yeah, I, or I for mean, studying that'd be them. an awesome movie to see. Yeah, and I love yeah. the line where he says, the Manson family used to come in here and shoplift. They never yeah. bought a damn thing. Yeah. A bunch of weirdos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's the fact that he does it so matter-of-factly, so removed from it. He doesn't believe in any of it. He's just the purveyor of of this weird shit it's the niche where he can make some money he takes all of the uh, plastic of the day and if you're not here to buy something then he's got no time for you get out of the store and they even have a way of doing foreshadowing and setting it up where they're like where on earth are they going to find silver bullets for a particular type of rifle no. oh he's got them right there the guy ordered there. a case of them 30 out six they're right there i get these babies wholesale pure <laughs> profit I got these. This guy ordered them. He never came and picked them up. They're just sitting here waiting. These silver bullets. Look at this crap. <laughs> I just got this and I can't get rid of it. You want to buy them here? They're right here. And he's got this pushy salesman thing that only Dick Miller can deliver. And it's just absolutely my favorite part of the movie. I watch that at least two or three times every yeah. time I watch the movie. <laughs> I have to absolutely do it. Now, at the end of that, we actually cut back to the final bits of the hunt. And it turns out that Christopher Stone's character, William, is not a bad hunter. He actually bags two rabbits. And I think they have it to where it's like one shot. He gets them both. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah half bad at doing what he's doing. And right after that, the feral man, or the wild wolf boy, or whatever we want to call him, just straight up offers his sister sexually to Christopher Stone. His Pretty character. Much. Where he's like, you you like eating fur burger, sir? My sister will cook you up fur burger real good. Werewolves are very liberal. <laughs> just like, you, you, you like the taste of rabbit pelt <laughs> just it, it's not even innuendo it's in your face what, yeah. he's, what he's saying he's like you you hunt something and kill it and you don't eat it you you wasting money he would have been less obvious saying what a fuck my sister <laughs> <laughs> he would have innuendo yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's basically what he's saying where he's like oh she's right over there in that cab and she'll cook it up for you real good nobody cooked well, rabbit like my sister well he's okay so but he's clearly like a beta of the pack right like right. we know he is because he's taking on the role of like the bloodhound. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's clearly not in charge. So when he uh, when William kills two rabbits, he's demonstrating these alpha abilities, and so he's basically rolling over and showing his belly. He's offering his sister up to him. He's offering gifts to the alpha. Or the pending alpha of the pack, or someone that can come in and be be further up in the in the ranks. Yeah. And I'm sorry if you look at everybody who's there. I'm sure that William would have been the alpha. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he's a physical specimen before entering in, and the other people were not in that great of shape. So I'm sure that werewolfism only increases the abilities you have before you become a werewolf. So, and Christopher Stone was quite healthy in this day and age. So <laughs> he's certainly in better shape than Patrick McGee. <laughs> or McNee. <laughs> you know, and currently, I think probably the strongest of the wolves was probably Eddie Quist, and he has to remain kind of off to the side and, and hidden in all of this, even though we don't know he's a wolf at this point but even he is really kind of physically speaking untransformed no christopher stone so i could totally see christopher stone coming in and becoming the alpha wolf yeah right now here's a very oh go ahead i think that's what they were doing almost was trying to find that and maybe maybe they brought quist in for that and it was just too much for him yeah maybe he gave into his base urges you know william has those urges and we see them amplified quist maybe was messed up in the head and it's just sent him over the edge and he has a kick-ass mustache, too. And it also might, might be, too, that Patrick McNee's character, Dr. George Wagner, may be the most powerful wolf that's there at this point. And the rest of them are tired of the way that he's trying to run things. And so they're maybe grooming William to come in and challenge him to take over that role. Yeah. yeah, it's really kind of up in the air and it's open to your interpretation. You can kind of see it however you want. But that's kind of just some of the things that I was noticing. And obviously you guys noticed, too, while we were watching the film for the review here. All right. Now, this is another kind of semi-serious question. Does a werewolf have to be transformed in order for a bite to pass the curse? I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I think you got to be in werewolf mode. Now, I would agree with you, but I think that depends upon the type of werewolf. In oh. this movie, they don't have to be in the cycle of the full moon. They yeah. can transform at will transform any time. time. So they could transform just the portion of their mouth that they need to to bite you if they have oh, to transform. Yeah, if they just have the fangs, maybe but that's a does it. In this type, if they can transform at any time, then they're always really the wolf. Whereas if it's a full moon circular thing where they have to, they are forced to transform during the full moon, I can see where only during the cycle of the full moon their bite would count. Yeah, that's a good point. Because yeah. there's a couple of points where, you know, Marsha Quist, whenever she goes to kiss William at the end of the hunt and she's coming on to him, she bites his lip and she kind of draws blood. Now, he does get attacked later, so he gets bitten twice by a werewolf. But the second time, I don't think he got bitten. I thought he got clawed. It didn't look like the werewolf actually bit him. It just looked like it clawed his arm and then he ran off. So I'm wondering if her biting his lip is what actually transformed him. Well, let, me, let, me, let me pose it to you this way. Uh, if you have herpes... <laughs> you you have to be presenting symptoms to be able to transmit it to your partner. The answer is no, no. according to, according to radio commercials <laughs> and it, also Matt's doctor. It's I was going to say it sounds like Jeremy's done a lot of research into this. <laughs> I do not have the herpes. But. I do not have herpes or his peas. I don't have either of those. <laughs> peas are not but, on uh, the plate. I mean, like certain things, like there are diseases where. They're transmittable, but you don't have to be presenting symptoms. You still have it. You still carry it, but it's not just at that full, full-blown effect. So if you look at lycanthropy as part of, you know, almost like it's a bloodborne pathogen that you're passing on, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have to be presenting the symptoms of being full wolf. They could still do it through the bite because truly they're a werewolf whether they are in that full mode or not. 
particularly in this film, because they're the type that will transform at any time and they're not beholden to the cycle of the full moon. Whereas I would feel that more like the ones that are beholden to the cycle of the full moon, like the original Wolfman, feels right. more like a supernatural thing so that that curse can only be at a certain point in a certain time as a curse, like a supernatural curse, where mm-hmm. those conditions need to be met for the curse to pass on. Yeah, okay. It does feel like these particular werewolves are more of a bloodborne pathogen where you could almost go in like a future sequel to the film or what have you you could almost go sort of sci-fi and find a way to cure them because of you know where it lives in the blood and a way to reverse those effects for the werewolfism or something like that but that might be Um, because i read too many comics (laughs) yeah well (laughs) maybe in the future of these movies uh they take it down a much more mystical road. oh yeah but to find out about that you'll have to listen to the <laughs> the deuce episode that's released later on in this crossover not as good as the first one but still a solid effort <laughs> i tried yeah, i give it a b minus b plus yeah b solid b all right so now no his, his oh, okay. you know cross promotion <laughs> All right, so Bill does his crossover very quickly after being bitten. Do you feel it's almost too quickly? Do you think they could have maybe fleshed this out a little bit? Maybe have him get into the hunt sooner, get him bit by the lady a little bit sooner, and then start showing symptoms? They just kind of... He gets bit, and then all of a sudden, the next day, he's eating meat, he's acting differently, and he's all feeling alive and looking at the world differently. Um, I don't think that there's anything that this movie does too quickly. No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think this thing is like slow burn incarnate um but i actually would have liked to see more william things like we see him transform uh and then really that's kind of it for yeah a while. it's kind I would of have like liked to see like thing. another another wolf out it session. seems kind of ham-fisted well it's, it's like we kind of are like oh yeah he was in this like i almost wanted to they should have started this process way earlier in the movie um, like he should have went off the I, night of the barbecue with the martial lady and she should have bit him then. And then they should have been having maybe, him see uh, signs of wolfism from there. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then when they did the hunt scene, he should have started out shooting and then he should start, or he should have ended up just like tracking them down, like kind of yeah, feral almost, and, and yeah. killing an animal with his bare hands or something. Yeah, and with, uh, with the caring character, it almost seems kind of that happens way too quickly for me. It's almost like, no, I don't want anything to do with you and slaps or, you know, yeah, I don't know that it all it just seems like we could have gotten more yeah, up. build up to it or, or and I think crossovers should be fast anyway, much like the crossover that we were doing with you with, Oh no, I can't do it like you. Sorry. I was going to, I was going <laughs> to cross. You get an E for effort, though, at least, Brad. (laughs) You get a participation trophy. Yeah, we'll give you a participation trophy here at Cinema PsyOps for that. My favorite kind of trophy. (laughs) We talked earlier about the film having allegories for certain things having to do with traumatic events, particularly with D. Wallace's character. But I did kind of notice as Bill starts to cross over to becoming a werewolf and becoming, in our allegory that we kind of mentioned earlier, sort of a victimizer as opposed to, you know, a sympathetic uh, human being. Have you kind of noticed there's a bit of an allegory, too, of the type of strain that a traumatic event like what D. Wallace's character Karen White experienced and the strain that it can put on a marriage or a relationship. You, you, do you see that with uh, her and William? Yeah, I think I think you know going back to he's trying. He just wants to be normal at one point. You know, he's trying to be romantic, and she is just not ready for that yet, which is absolutely fine. But then she starts to be romantic at one point, and he's like, "Yeah, meh," and just kind of. I can't remember what was it. He got a shot. I can't remember what did he. What ha- was it? Mm. That, he was unromantic. He's like, it's too soon after this. And she's like, 
it's just like we're not connecting, connecting. you know? And yeah. like it was very he seemed very like, I'm over this. It was right and after the werewolf bite that happened on his shoulder. Right. That's yeah, what I yeah. mean. Yeah. Like it just happened, all this happened too quickly for me. Yeah, he seemed very like distant then and she was kind of like I don't know. I almost feel like I got the sense that she was maybe feeling guilty about that. Like, and and in no way should she feel guilty for not being ready to be romantic with him again. But like, you know, I almost feel like she was like trying to play it off. Like she felt bad. Uh, but then just from there on out, it's like, he's so cold and distant and he's, I think almost like resenting her. Cause he even, there's even like a the, kind of an aspect of, this like narcissistic manipulation with it, right? Like he sees her trauma as some sort of a way to slight him. Um, and he later on when she's like, you know, are you, where'd you get those scratches on your back? I mean, clearly, you know, she knows what that is. And he's like, no, nah, it was there before. And she goes, no, it wasn't. Are you having an affair or whatever she says? And he, oh, don't you put that fantasy on me and blah, 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 or your fantasies. I mean, immediately he starts turning it around on her and blaming her and like doing this almost like projection thing on her. I think that's when, and that's shortly before he just like backhands her. It's a little bit later in the film as well than where we kind of are at right now, but it kind of fits in with what we're talking about and everything that's going on with their marriage. Uh, I kind of feel like what you're talking about, the guilt that she was experiencing, it also seems to me as though she feels like because of her trauma and because of the strain that she's put on the marriage, it's her fault that he went off and did what he did. She's almost accepting the blame. It's like mentally abusive in a way or just, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 There's an abusive power struggle there that's kind of eats itself up when he immediately dismisses her. I mean, she's absolutely 100% correct about the situation. Instead of being a man about it, he's just dismissive and he turns it around on her like you're nuts when she isn't. She's already fragile. She already thinks she's nuts anyway. Yeah, she's already she's already suffering this trauma. She's already having these issues. Right. She already is experiencing this guilt, yet he uses this moment to, you know, he, he turns it around on her and basically is, is using his power in the situation to make it worse. Like, he, what what a terrible way. Like, you, if you're if you do the, you know, do the crime, do the time, like, be a man about it. But yeah, he uh he just basically turns it around on her. All right. Now this question is specifically for Matt first, so he can Ooh. stop fucking around on his phone. I'm listening no. to these guys talk. Yeah. They're doing a much better job than you ever did. Well, that's for I'm sure. not going to break Ooh. into them. Is the fireside werewolf sex the next evolution of porn? Yes. <laughs> next question. Uh, I also wanted to point out Marsha gets naked in that scene. So thank you, movie. Thank you, movie. For both of us. Thank you. Now for you guys, do you think that the... Before getting hairy, yeah, she yeah. gets naked. <laughs> She's still a little hairy in some spots, but we won't talk about that. Well, that's, I mean, it's the early 80s. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, but that's the way life is. Now the fireside werewolf sex, is that the next evolution of porn? Is that something that we can expect? Uh, you know, lots of hairy wolf sex going on? Um, well, first off, I'd like to say... Um, I was disappointed by the amount of uh, the fire was even covering up his butt at least like, like I was just like, Oh, maybe we'll get a little something, but it was, it was nothing like it was, everything was well covered. Spread the nudity around. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't need to see neck, but you know, (laughs) give us a little something. 
when you're like, being denied two inches of dick neck, you want to see at least a little bit of man ass. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> something. Like, but no, like the fire covered up. And I was like, hold Aww. on, could you say that again? I think I want that on my uh, tombstone. That was great. <laughs> I will pull it as a clip. That will be yes. your epitaph. <laughs> epitaph. Uh, phrasing. <laughs> phrasing. We're not doing that. We're not doing phrasing anymore. <laughs> Now, the next one I want to see is like two vampires on the way to turning into bats. It it turned into bats porn. Like trans you want you want transformation into monsters during porn? Yeah, like I think I've done that to you from being on this show. Yeah, probably because like, you know, uh, uh a monster squad with the dad shoots uh Dracula when he's like as a bat and, and he's, he's trying to turn and, yeah. he's half bat, half man. I want to see that. <laughs> have you seen Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula? I have yes, I have, but it was a long time ago. Ago. That was werewolf on regular woman sex. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was a bit weird. That was <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, but you guys are right. There's not equal nudity time, which we are getting better as a culture on that. You know, like the people that are attracted to men want to see as much of a man as the people who are attracted to women want to see as much of a woman. Game know? of Thrones is helping them out a little bit. I actually yeah. more so I would say American Gods, the TV show is You're doing a, much better. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I would say so too. Yeah. And well, not, they're, not they're really excited over yeah, there. But on not, that one. not gratuitously either. It's handled actually quite oh. artistically, but I would it's equate that to Brian Fuller more than I, anything. I, I was very excited about that. Because American Gods is my favorite book, <laughs> if you must know. <laughs> it has nothing to do with all the the neck. Whatever you got, <laughs> whatever you got to tell yourself to sleep at night. <laughs> I don't have to. T- I can. I get all the neck I want. <laughs> Coming out of both ends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just died a little inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm done. That's, yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Show's over, show's folks. Over, Good night. Folks. We're going to end it on that joke. The whole show's over. I mean, everything. Yeah, it's done. I'm Good. selling off my equipment. <laughs> Cinema Science <laughs> is over. That's the joke we're going to end our careers on. That's, it's all yeah, over. I'm fucking done. <laughs> it's all over, man. Uh, it's over, man. It's all over. Oh, I just remembered I have something that won't let me do that. What? Ego. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. His ego's like, if you think that's bad, it's going to get a lot worse. Strap in, kids. He's going to make worse jokes. <laughs> all right. So how much nope triggers off in your brain at the side of the cabin when Terry starts to investigate there at the colony? Like a lot of nope. <laughs> like like a whole cabin load of nope. And this is kind of where the, the scary part comes from because you're out in the middle of nowhere and you, know, you come to realize she doesn't have like they were saying earlier she doesn't have an ally really out there at all at all so it's like shit (laughs) before she even gets inside the cabin just the way that the animal pelts are hanging up everywhere yeah and there's carcasses hanging out to dry they're not they're not being cured it's not a smokehouse she walked into they're just hanging on the porch there's only two things here that can happen either a werewolves or b here Either way, He's, something's getting plunged into you you don't want. Exactly. Whether it's a fang or a body part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Either it's a fang or a hillbilly's penis. Or a knife. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, the outside of the cabin, just that section there where you're looking at the porch and there's all those animal pelts that are tacked up to be drying out. Nothing wrong with that. That's a that's a hunter's cabin. Sure, maybe it's a fur trapper's cabin. Cool. But there's one scene where she walks past this bit of meat that is unidentifiable as to what it is. Yeah. That looks like it's just curing sitting out there. 
And it's not a smokehouse. It's not anything where a meat should just be hanging from a porch other than to try and bring in other animals to kill. And it just looks like a whole bunch of nope. Like the minute I saw that, I'm like, get the fuck away from that cabin. Uh, yeah, run. <laughs> and then she goes inside and it's so much worse. Yeah. It's, 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 why would you go inside? I have this general rule about bone wind chimes. <laughs> like uh, if you have wind chimes made of random bones, uh, I'm probably not coming in. No, like it was. That's a pretty like, good rule to have for yourself. Note to self: take down wind chimes when Jeremy comes over. <laughs> why so you, I, okay, I, you said that, but why are you writing down "put up more wind chimes when Jeremy comes over"? He's warding me off. That's why. <laughs> now I'm trying uh, to lure him in. <laughs> so one time, and I will tell you this, this is a true story. So um, years ago, I went with. Uh, my dad and some other folks to Wyoming and we went through a little town called Centennial, Wyoming. Mm. Uh, and it's called Centennial because they have like a hundred citizens. Mm. Um, and it's a really odd looking place. Like it's very open plains, like right down in front of the mountains. Um, but everybody has these like log cabins and there was a, um, they had a, uh, there was like a, a trailer, so obviously it was like a it was a trailer home, but they had sided it with logs like log cabin logs. So it was a log trailer. But in front of it was a pile like taller than a person pile of deer antlers and just a heap of them. And the town was kind of just weird for me until I saw that. And I just remember saying let's either get up into the mountains or can we just go home? Because I do not want to be in this little town right now. <laughs> it just scared the hell out of me. Were there bone wind chimes? Um, I don't recall seeing them, but I would not be surprised. There was a lot of stuff like that. Do you think there was werewolves there? Mm, no. So like on a scale, like how much? Nope. Like Leslie? Nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the wrong kind of nope. Cause that's the kind of nope oh. you want to be around. <laughs> Um, on a scale of one to ten, that's seven. Seven on the note reader. Well, what yeah. it is is it was a whole stack of racks, and you know that Jeremy's not into that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's actually the next movie. The only <laughs> I like are of ribs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Did you guys notice Eddie Quist's calling card that was throughout the whole film? His business card? His business card? No, he had a calling card that he would leave behind in certain areas. And oh, it, the smiley face. Yep. Oh, the smiley face. I yeah, thought yeah. you were thinking like uh, like one of those phone cards. Yeah. <laughs> I said. 1-800, like uh, AT&T. I even said, oh, look, it's another one of those smiley faces. The smiley face thing. Yeah. Yeah. When you notice them and you go back and watch the film, everywhere that he has been and anywhere that he is going to be, you can see that that sticker. Whether it's like the cabin that he had in the woods that was clearly his cabin, his actual apartment when they go through it, and then even that porn booth, I think that might have been his favorite little jerk-off spot. And that's why it had that sticker there. <laughs> it's almost well, yeah. like the smiley face is like the taint of Quint. <laughs> what are you doing in there? Just killing people? Honestly. <laughs> Yeah, they, they shoot it when they fire through. You see it get shot. Actually, it, the smiley face gets shot twice in the smiley face. Oh. And then we see him actually shot twice in the head. True. Yeah, when, when, he, he, gets, when he gets hurt, the smiley face gets hit twice. You're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when he shows up later, he's digging the bullets out of his head. 
He's got those two bullet marks. Is the werewolf attacking Terry sequence that we end up seeing when she finally gets uh, into the cabin and we see it break through and then it goes into the underneath part of the porch, the part where it's attacking her right there under the porch before the arm actually gets dismembered. Does that go on too long and reveal too much of the werewolf at the start of that attack? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think it's perfect. Okay. Yeah, it's I not- think the sequence of really a lot. Yeah, it's because it's to me, it's you, they do one of two things in these movies. You either give it too, too much, much away or less is more or they just just insinuate everything, which drives me a little right. crazy, too. Um, I think I think it struck the perfect balance of right. that. And, yeah. and very visually appealing to me. Yeah. Did they spend too long on the arm transforming, transforming uh, back? No. Back? Ooh, my no. That was my no. favorite part. No. That was awesome. That was that. awesome. I have to be with yeah. these guys on that. These guys that was neat. Yeah, I thought it was a great effect. Yeah. He's, um, I don't know, in court you could probably say Joe Dante's effects person. He loves doing um, those effects where it's like, it's like the pushed air into latex kind of thing where like the face is bubbling or like the hand was bubbling. The backs of the gremlins... Yeah. bubbling yeah like when they get wet uh-huh um, and so you get all john the, candy and matinee no that wasn't him never mind sorry <laughs> john goodman and john goodman yeah yeah the, the, but but it is like you see he does a lot of that effect and he does like a little bit of it with inner space too or or he, he does do that in inner space yeah yeah they discovered it actually on this film when they were doing the Eddie Quist transformation. They had the bladders and they were blowing them up and they found that they liked the way it looked where they basically blew the bladder up to the point where it exploded because they were using the condoms that were sealed off and filling them with air to make bladders. Oh, and gotcha. for the transformation, particularly in Eddie Quist, you can see it happen where some of the bladders explode and then they shrink down on the face and give it this whole new look for the werewolf stuff. And because they liked that look, they started playing around with that more and more in, in later Don films and interesting thing we'll kind of get more into it but the effects were actually started by a guy who ended up on a different film and then finished by a by another guy that was sort of his apprentice and the two films i'm talking about are american werewolf in london and the mm-hmm. howling and both those transformations are the werewolf and then were released pretty much the same time they were shot almost simultaneously and Rick Baker actually got pulled away is the one that got pulled away. And the guy who got left behind uh, to finish it up, I believe, is Rob Bote, who ended up doing the effects on the thing. And Rob Bote in particular is really good at making these very bizarre, uh, yeah. otherworldly, weird, stretchy, fleshy, gross things out of practical effects that just do not seem right. And when we get to the Eddie Quist transformation, we'll kind of discuss it a little bit more and compare and contrast the two because those two transformations went head to head in a lot of people's minds and there's a big argument about that. Okay, we kind of talked about it earlier when we were discussing the marriage falling apart between Christopher Stone and Dee Wallace. How horrendous is it to watch that backhand happen in this film in this day and age? It's really uncomfortable. I wanted to just punch him. I just wanted to punch him square in the jaw yeah it's really it's, it's the only part of this movie that's more comfortable is when she's sitting there at the beginning watching the rape yeah on the porn film yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no you know what like it, it still it evokes those emotions of like being pissed off but it doesn't shock me in this one because i think we had already honestly like as much as you know as much as the there is still these negative attitudes for women that i mean hell even today we see this in, in reflected in things but it was less shocking to me because we had started to move on to that point where we were like, hey, you don't do that. But it's almost more shocking to me in old movies when like somebody's like, get a hold of yourself and slaps a woman. And she's like, thanks. You know, what I mean, it's 
that is more shocking to me because it was the it, it was almost played up like a yeah that's what you do you slap a hysterical chick like this we know that he shouldn't be doing that and he was represented as the bad guy in that action right so it didn't shock me so much because we're supposed to go good god william what's happening to you it, it got the it, desired emotion. It it doesn't shock your characteristic of him, it, but it should shock your morals as a person. Well, right. Yes, right. Which and that's what it does. Right. But it's like, it, I, what I'm saying is, it's more shocking to me in an older movie when something like that happens, because it's not seen as like a bad thing happening. It's just seen that's what you yeah. do to a, a woman out who's of it. that's what you see to a woman who's panicked. Right. You slap her. Do you feel it's a tipping point for his character? This is the point where we know for sure he's 100% gone and he's evil. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, this is I, it. The, 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 whatever good man was in there is, is go- dead and gone. Because his character beforehand would have never raised no, his hand the, to his the, wife. The, this is a wo- the, the wolf or whatever primal thing. Establishing dominance it on has, the, has this now female. taken yeah. over. Yeah. I totally see that. So I, I, I in a sense, you kind of see her husband die and he's died a slow death and now this is where he's finally given out it's the demarcation point yeah where he will not come back exactly and you almost see it on his face i think christopher stone plays that out really well where he knows yeah i'm not who i was anymore and not only is it the end of this relationship and he knows it there yeah it's the end of his humanity yes and he's not she's just there being d wallace yeah just completely fragile and crying and you just want to pick her up and try and comfort her in some way shape or form exactly but you never can it's like yep. this never-ending torment for her well we asked you guys does this change the airplane joke oh it's for completely you? changed for me yeah where yeah. they just get up in the line yeah, yeah i can't there's a lot and that's something that, like a series that i want to examine where looking at things from a different perspective now where mm. not necessarily just culturally but also just i still think most of it's hilarious well that particular scene is definitely not no no most I meant most the movie that scene has also changed for me oh I never thought that scene was funny but it's also a parody of that of that ridiculousness that we thought that slapping a hysterical person was a way to yeah I just yeah um, I mean, you can look at it that way, saying, you know, look at this parody, because all the people lined up with like a wrench. It's a satire a gun, of trying to snap somebody out of it. Like, it really, and it's, it is showing, it's actually making all these people feel better and not the person freaking out. They all are the actual ones freaking out because they have to hit somebody. It's one way you can also look at it. But again, again we're talking about a whole different movie now. Well, it bears repeating because it's this type of culture that yeah. we're talking about and it fits in with the same time frame with this film that, that yeah. is happening here. Can I just say that um, as far as the Williams character goes, they do this. I think they do this really well to sever that like hope we have. Like this is the point. Like you said, yeah, this is the point, point. Yeah. because two things happen in the in the course of like 45 seconds. Two things happen. Uh, she sees the scratches on his back and she says, where'd you get those? And she asks if he's having an affair, accuses him of having an affair. And he essentially gaslights her. You know, you're put, that's your fantasy. You're, you're the one coming up with that. And so he's being psychologically abusive, right. followed up by immediately being physically abusive. Right. So like he, he body and soul is just like done for us at that point. 
Reminds me of a certain orange-skinned prick. Uh, Cheeto? Yeah. A walking, <laughs> talking Cheeto. Chester Cheeto. <laughs> Chester Cheeto's a bastard. No. Yes, Chester Cheeto, sure. Yeah, let's let's just leave it there. <laughs> the NSA is listening. <clears throat> Cheeto Puff. Hmm. Okay. What'd you call me? What'd you call me, Matt? <laughs> Cheeto Puff? You're not near orange enough. You've never seen the outside. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So when we finally return back to Terry and she's being menaced once again by the werewolf, the final attack that happens on Terry from the werewolf, does that have to do more with the nature of Eddie as a man who is misogynistic and looks down upon women as not even human and less than even food for him? Or is it because of the savage nature of the creature of a werewolf? Both. I think the werewolf gotten to a misogynist yeah, a, a, a sadomasochist misogynist yeah now do you feel that the other werewolves are not necessarily as savage because they don't have that in them for the attacks it's possible i, I think as where you I, never see any of the other ones act anywhere near as vicious as what he does no I, because he acts vicious as a human yeah where the rest of them act like somewhat normal people as humans, if not maybe a little bit more eccentric. But as werewolves, they they it's almost like they accept that they're werewolves. And I don't know if any of their human side is present while they're werewolves when they become complete uh, werewolves. I think they're just full on savage. Go ahead. No, just I agree with Matt. Well, yeah. I, I think that. But he's you know, just as savage of a human being as a human. So yes. he's yes. an animal as a human, and then he just happens to also be a werewolf. Being a werewolf doesn't affect him as a human. He was probably like this already before being yeah, infected. He was, yeah, he was like that before. Yeah. One, he, he probably went there. They probably sent him there to get help or something, and he ends up, you know, this, this like, kind of, he probably had some sort of, like, he was... He was a a rapist before or had like, you know, maybe he was had this like misogyny that all of a sudden turns into like the the wolf enhances that aspect of him and turns him into, uh, you know, this like sadist where he's going out and he's, you know, trying to. He's, you know, making snuff films and he's, uh, you know, strangling people, whatever. And like it allowed him to go to that visceral place where he can now, uh, you know, murder freely or take, you know, take it to the next step. The weenie before maybe he now is this dominant creature. And so we see him, that side of him becomes stronger. I think that's what we're seeing is he was twisted as a person and the wolf just helped enhance that further. And I think his little brother and Marsha's little brother, the wolf boy quiz that we were talking about earlier, actually really kind of accents it perfectly whenever he says, you kill something you don't eat, that's a sin, mister, when he's talking to William. Yeah. And that's exactly what Eddie's doing. He's not even killing it as a werewolf when he kills Terry. I mean, he toys with her and he slashes her up a little bit before he actually does it. But the way that he finally extinguishes her life is he picks her up as a werewolf and strangles her. Yeah. Which is not even for food. That is for his own sexual perverse gratification. Yeah. And I don't think you see that with any of the other werewolves. They may enjoy killing, but it's more of a, you know, I'm going to get some food kind of thing. And it's more for hunger and it has nothing to do with this stick and twisted lust. Yeah, no. For for most of the normal werewolves, it's just, it's like, oh, I have to eat. And when I turn into a werewolf, I hunt. And if a human is 
what I eat, then that's just how it is. It's, you know, it, almost like it's unfortunate, but that's just how it is. I'm a werewolf. That's that's what happened. Do for you, uh, for him, it's he's a serial killer who just happened to be turned into a werewolf. Which a lot of werewolves and lycanthropy is an allegory for these types of murders and this type of gruesome thing that our earlier forefathers couldn't understand and wrap their heads around how a human being could do this otherwise yeah. without being some type of beast. Yeah. And Eddie Quist is the logical extension of that, I think. Yeah, I agree. All right. And another another kind of point that I, I just kind of thought up here, uh, as far as the differences in the werewolves and everything, do you guys get the feeling that the three Quist siblings are naturally born werewolves, that they were born to other werewolves? I Wolves? kind of do. Yeah. Yeah, it seems yeah, yeah. like they're pure blood werewolves or, or something. The yeah. difference between them and the other ones, because the other ones have a different being about them, and they're more human beings who are incidentally werewolves when they feel like it or when they transform. Yeah. Whereas the three Quist people, especially the wolf boy, feels like he would be more comfortable being a wolf all the time. Yeah. Right. Like he's yeah. he's like that spirit Almost being guy. a human feels weird to him. Yeah. And for Eddie, he's very clearly a, a psychopath who just so happens to be gifted the power of a wolf and who in their right mind would give someone that demented the power other than it just happened by birth. It must either, yeah, it must, yeah, it just happened by birth, yeah. That's why I think maybe they were the three of them are at least naturally born yeah as werewolves okay that's actually going to lead us to our next clip hello karen eddie i'm glad you came i wanted to see you again i saw you die you said on the phone that you wanted to get to know me but here i am karen look at me i want to give you a piece of my mind i trusted you karen That's what we were talking about earlier. He starts digging the bullets out of his brain right after yeah. he says, I want to give you a piece of my mind. It's still one of my favorite that is pretty cool. <laughs> deliveries. Now, this is the part we were talking about kind of earlier and we alluded to, and this is, we're at the transformation scene and there is the debate. I mean, American Werewolf in London and The Howling were released nearly simultaneously. I think uh, American Werewolf is, okay, so it's The Howling is 1981 and American Werewolf in London is also 1981 for the release dates. And as we mentioned before, both of these films were, were made nearly simultaneously. Now, obviously, the end result werewolves look extremely differently. Yeah. Uh, but they have some similarities in, in that the turn. Well, and the legs are actually tilted backwards. I don't know if you noticed that, but the leg, the yes. knees bend like a like a wolf or a dog's would yep. on the werewolves, even though it stands upright. Now, the actual transformations, like whenever the bladders start exploding and all the things start happening on Eddie Quist's face and his hands and everything, and the length of time that that scene goes versus where it happens in American Werewolf in London. Now, I know that the American Werewolf in London would actually won an award for what it did for the creature effects. Yeah. But I actually like the transformation in The Howling better i don't know yeah i disagree yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm it has with... significantly less money to do what it's doing oh, I understand. i'm not saying yeah. it's bad either yeah. i'm no, just saying i liked yeah. american werewolf in london better <laughs> i know a lot and, of people like it and it, it has a lot more going for it but what ended up happening was the main guy that should have been doing the effects on this movie got leached away by that production by the lore of more cash and so it's almost like the underdog of well look what you did anyway buddy good job <laughs> here's your participation <laughs> trophy no it's more than a participation no, I trophy i was just yeah that transformation is so iconic yeah anyway but yeah no yeah i understand why you say that but okay so there were like parts of eddie's transformation that i liked oh yeah like the stuff with like the face bladders that was cool i liked that but i thought they kept coming back to it too much like they kept mm -hmm. starting it over 
Um, and I like like the chest puffing up and doing whatever. But then there was like one point where it looks like he just has a giant smiley face, like where his like the corners of his mouth were up by his eyes and like it kept doing this. I think like felt like they were playing with it as they were going and were like, ooh, film that, ooh, film that, ooh, film that. And it was just kind of like all over. Like I'd be like, well, now he's back to looking like he had the face bladders again. Now his face is all like contorted. Now it's this again. Now it's this. And it kept going back. Like I, I think it would do more for me if it was a little bit more refined. And actually I, um, the effect later on, like in the barn, like when their teeth, their fangs just start coming out and you see them transforming. And then you see the wolf there where it's not such a prolonged change. I liked that a lot. I just think that Eddie's change was like too much. Like at one point I was like, at one point I just imagined D walls going, so are you going to do this or what? I was like, why are you still here? D Wallace? He's still changing. You have plenty of time to escape. <laughs> no, I, I get where you're coming from, but the things that you're stating are actually more of an editing problem than a problem with the actual effects for the transformations. Cause right. what you, you nailed it right there when it's edited down and you actually see the transformations in an adequate amount of time, which is a difference I think with what makes the American werewolf in London. London transformation work for a lot more people than with Eddie Quist is because the editing is a lot tighter on that when they focus in on the main things that they need to do and they just go with those specific moments with the hand stretching and everything like that whereas with Eddie Quist every I mean I know it keeps repeating and everything like that but I feel every moment of pain in that and I think you guys nailed it he's a total sadomasochist I think he loves how bad it hurts when he's transforming I think he gets off on it I think that's part of the toying and the play for him. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. The fear. Yeah. Well, it's partially the fear that he's causing her to witness yeah. his transformation or that he causes the victims that are about to be attacked exactly. by him when he transforms the pain that he goes through physically as he's transforming, because it looks like it really fucking hurts. Oh yeah. And it looks like yeah. he really likes it. You gotta be, he's a little bit of a sadist. I I'm well, and a masochist. A, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it's, he's a machinist. Yeah. Oh God damn it. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Every fucking time with that bad joke from that shitty fucking <laughs> Matthew Perry movie. But it's still got a laugh. The only good thing about that movie is that it had Bruce Campbell in it. Yeah, I, I agree. Literally the only good I thing agree. about that movie. And, and the and joke, the machinist part. Maybe a little bit of Amy Adams. <laughs> Can I say, I think there I'll are laugh pieces. every time. <laughs> I think there are pieces of the transformations I actually like better in this one than in uh, American Werewolf in London. I like the fang work in this one because we see the fangs coming down. Um, and I think they're sharper looking. I think they're more to me, they're scarier looking. I agree. But I also like the shots where they do this a couple times where like they throw their hand down to their side and you see like the claws come out of the ends of their fingers. Like they're you're just getting ready to do it at will, like to go attack. Um, I like that effect a lot. And to me, it's like, ooh, that's we see it duplicated in things like honestly, you know, you see it in, um, you know, you've seen it in uh, with Sabretooth doing it in movies where they have little claws come out to show his animalistic. Oh, God, like he's got claws or you see it in other horror movies. And I, I think it's a really cool effect and uh, it's a very simple effect 
as far as like for simple as in the emotion it evokes without doing too much over the top. I thought it was a cool thing. And I like that better in this one. Uh, those parts that you mentioned are the things that make me like this transformation more. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't disagree with you as far as the editing side of it goes. It could be a lot tighter for the editing part of it. Now, Face black get me. It's like the the weird, like every once in a while they would be like, what if we did this? And he'd have a like the the smiley face thing kills me. Well, I, Where his well, like, I, the corners of his mouth are like way up. Ugh. Yeah, I think that might have been a reference to the actual smiley face that you see everywhere that's like his gimmick. I think he saw that in his transformation. And so the whole sticker thing that he puts everywhere is like, haha, this is me as a werewolf. I'm so happy to transform. <laughs> Maybe or perhaps it just, you know, is me trying to draw a parallel to excuse the fact that that <laughs> part of the puppet doesn't work. <laughs> The rod puppets in this were the actual, like, jamming the not, the snout out and uh, some of the parts where the arms elongate or whatever that they try to do. That part, I will admit, definitely works better in American Werewolf in London. But I think the reason for that is Rick Baker tried it here, didn't quite get it to work the way that he wanted. And then when he got more money, was able to perfect it on the other movie. And he learned from whatever mistakes he had here. And Rob Bowden yeah. was just left with, or Boteen or however you pronounce it, was just left with what was ever there and just had to work with what he had. <laughs> But you you can see it. You can see the evolution of it because uh, the effect practically happens in very very much the same way. It's just uh, a little bit herkier, jerkier here. But I I think it's a great effect even in this one. I still enjoy it. Now the fully transformed werewolves. Do you guys like the look of the fully transformed werewolves in this film? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Is there another look for a werewolf that you prefer or that you like more than this? Or does this kind of now, given the time frame and the limitation of the budget, like the overall design of what the werewolf looks like, do you like that idea is, or is there a different way that that looks that you prefer? Well, considering the budget that they look fine, but if you're like, do you prefer any other look? I liked how once again, American werewolf in London made their, okay. made the, but that's a, look. that's a different kind of, cause it's an all fours werewolf and it actually yeah. transforms more into a wolf. This is an upright. So you man werewolf about hybrid. Ooh, man yeah, yeah. Like, like now i i understand that you like that look more because yes it had more money that's but what i was talking about do you prefer I like, I like prefer the ones on all four okay more. okay cool. that's what yeah. i'm saying yeah. the ones that transform more into a full wolf than less man wolf yeah i think thing. the only one that i like uh two legs is the original wolf man some reason i just literally you know, a man with wolf face yeah yeah pretty much if the, they look it, like that original, you'll take them on two legs the, yes i kind of like that if you're gonna go with okay. a wolf man on two legs then make it like the old wolf man like the original just a man with a wolf face and wolf hands and that kind of okay. stuff no no yeah. i get you i get yeah. you i totally understand for the purposes of this movie it works well for me because of the whole human interaction of uh of the werewolf so i, I kind of like the whole aspect of them being like uh, on not on all fours but on twos yeah. um I, I don't know i like that better i think it's more I don't know, menacing to me because it's almost yeah. more scary because it can come at you a little bit and in, in more yeah. of the, you know, grab you. Yeah. I, I do like the all fours werewolf, but honestly, I prefer more of the like human wolf hybrid kind. Yeah. The thing that I do really like about this, though, is Court, you pointed it out where they have. It's not actually their knees are bent backwards like on animals where you see how they have that part that bends back. That part that bends back is actually their ankle. Oh, okay. So that's their, the part got, that yeah. bends back on the werewolf is that ankle. Is that so ankle. It's, but it's got the, where it looks like it's a wolf walking on its hind legs. Okay. 
that's what I like that. And I like that in characters to me because it's so alien to us as humans. I think it looks creepy and I enjoy that a lot. It also, um, that's partially how animals are able to run a lot faster than too, because they are able to, they're basically running on their, on the balls of their foot. So they're, you know, less time that they're planting their whole foot because their ankle is up in the air. So, yeah. And you see that with, um, like when they have those, uh, the runners who, uh, like have, uh, where they're amputees and they have those blade things. It's the same concept. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. Now, yeah. um, for me, I really like the look as well of the werewolf that stands on two feet. Now, I like this concept. I like the way that they executed it. I like the backward uh, bend for the ankles that you're talking about, where it's like the elongated lack of heel that's completely foreign to humanity. I think that this look and this idea, so far for me, has been perfected and has not been topped with the movie Dog Soldiers, because even their oh, heads look so much like a wolf. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. never seen it. Oh, you will. Okay. You will. All right. It's really fucking good. Awesome. British Special Forces soldiers versus werewolves. All I need to say to say. Okay. Yeah. That. No. I need to see that now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need that in my life. <laughs> I think uh, the best, I think the best werewolf, uh, to me, and I think most of the listeners would agree with this is the like were monkey things from Stop. from American Werewolf in Paris. Stop. Oh. <laughs> no. That was horrible. I agree with dog oh god. I agree with We, we talked soldiers. about this too. So yeah. we American Werewolf in Paris, they were like, "Ooh, we have CG. Let's do this." They started making these like computer generated werewolves, but they look so terrible oh, so and terrible. And here's movies like, you know, American Werewolf in London and The Howling uh, that have these practical effects that look beautiful. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and that really like, up more in yeah. time than these, you know, Agreed. special effects. Agreed. When we get the final reveal that the community or this uh, colony that we're at is actually a community of monsters, is there any stories that features community of monsters besides this that this final reveal actually reminds you of? Actually, I think I think Brad I said, said Wicker Man. Yeah, Brad, Brad earlier said Wicker Man. I was like, this is where Wicker yeah. Man. <laughs> Wicker Wolf Man. Wicker Wolf Man. Um, it reminds me of like Rosemary's Baby. Like when everyone is in, in on it except one per- person, yeah. that's what it kind of reminds me of that cool mm-hmm. task. Yeah, I'll agree me. with like Rosemary's Baby, yeah. I see a whole lot of uh, Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, and uh, Haunt of Fear comics right here in that mm-hmm. reveal where turns out all along vampires or oh, yeah. turns out all along uh, yeah. werewolves uh, the reason they've been so weird the reason that nobody comes out of this town until nighttime is monsters or turns out all yeah. along they, they're, they're you know <laughs> brigadoon or some shit like that who knows what it is yeah. but <laughs> like i i love that idea of this reveal that it's it's just this whole entire town or this whole entire colony or this whole entire resort area where it just happens to be inhabited by these creatures and normally you can go there and everything will be fine and you won't have to worry but in the case of d wallace she's being brought there specifically because she saw something that they're trying to cover up and they're trying to see if she'll remember before they decide whether or not they'll kill her and or bring her into the fold because she survived the attack 
And that's yeah. what makes it that much more horrifying. I mean, you can just, like we said earlier, remove the fact that they're werewolves and the fact that they're all in on it, whether it's Wicker Man or Rosemary's Baby, like you guys mentioned for the examples. That's where the real horror of the movie is. Me too. Yeah. It, it's just that it just so happens that once that revelation is hit, instead of just being cultists or Satanists or yeah. people that want to sacrifice you so they'll have a better harvest and because you're a virgin prick Christian cop pig. God, Jesus, <laughs> man. That's what the hell <laughs> anyway need help on t- <laughs> yeah we know uh <laughs> anyway on top of all of that though on top of all of that they're werewolves which make them infinitely more dangerous because yeah, I mean, you can't outrun them they're yeah. gonna track you down by scent yeah there's nothing you can do and there's a whole fucking buttload of them yeah there's a whole pack <laughs> literally literally <laughs> Okay, when we're talking about the effects earlier, the next effect and the one that is the most effective for me and the one that I love the most in this film is the dissolved Eddie Quist face where he's half dissolved from the acid that she splashes on him and the way that they light it in that scene. Do you guys like that effect? Does that work for you still? Does that still look good? Or um, You know, when I was when I was younger, it didn't, but I, I was looking at trying to look at it a little bit closer this time. And I like that you can see like he still has the musculature. So I understand how his jaw moves and whatever. But like you can actually see like the orbital socket like around his uh, around his where his eye should be. So you can see where it almost like ate away down to his skull. Yeah. Yeah, it was Uh, cool. Yeah, I, I did like that. It looks to me almost like the acid completely dissolved it down to the bone and then yeah. dissolved some of the bone, but this is the amount of healing that he's had in the time between when uh, Karen White you know, throws the throws the acid on him to get away, and then when Chris uh, Halloran ends up showing up <laughs> and being confronted with them. And I love how he leaves his rifle there that has the silver bullets, and we know that they're silver bullets, and Eddie Quist has got the gun, and he's so confident that everything's going to be fine because there's no way this guy knew ahead of time werewolves right yeah right yeah which leads me actually to my next uh, my next question are the werewolves in this colony a little too cocky yes yeah i mean dead set yeah but if you think about it there's two things that we know for sure will kill them silver bullets and fire yeah and they're confident that no one's gonna know who they are until they reveal who they are yeah so i mean if only two things can kill you you kind of can get a little cocky i'm I'm not saying that they're not maybe a little justified to be cocky i'm just saying yes they are they are too cocky well even when you see one of them get shot by a silver fucking bullet and die they're still like there's no way that's silver that's just not silver. Tis a flesh wound. (laughs) Old Mordecai's playing a joke on you. Yeah. Um, But you know what, though? Part of me also thinks, because I was like, why the hell would Eddie give them that? And it wasn't just, to me, it's almost, yes, there was the aspect of, you know, he was so confident, but I almost get the feeling like this guy loves to see people hurt and see tortured, whatever. And part of me thinks that maybe he did it in the aspect and like in the with the kind of thought of this guy is going to mess something up. None of my family is going to see this coming. You know, it'll be fun to watch them get hurt. Like, I almost wonder if he does it kind of like a. Well, if if he's a true sociopath, then he doesn't care about his own pack. either. No, he doesn't care. 
Yeah, he probably wants to see them get hurt. Well, and I also think he doesn't think that it's loaded with a silver bullet. So I think he's actually handing him the gun, saying this is your, the best that you can come up with for your own self-defense. And what you end up getting is your, your gun is not going to do any good. He even says, call it a gift champ, but it's not going to do you any good, smart guy, because this is what I am. I'm a werewolf. And I don't think he knows there's silver in there. Oh. But even if he does, that makes him even more sinister, even more twisted, and even like, more sadomasochistic. I like Jeremy. Oh. No, <laughs> well, no well, I love well, that idea that he yeah. does know, and he still hands it over and says, call it a gift, I'm done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause, Well, because his face is all acid up. It's he's hard gonna to regenerate from that. You think? Yeah. yeah. Do you think he will? They say that they, you cut off a hand, they regenerate. Dick oh, Miller explained that's that. That's right, to us. that's right. Yeah. yeah. He's really got nothing to fear, and I think Dick it's that cockiness. Come on, know your dick, Matt. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, he does. Oh, he does. Oh, God. <laughs> Shouldn't werewolves be able to easily break out of a barn, whether it's burning or not? You would think. I mean, um, a mass of them could concentrate their force yeah. on a few boards and push them through. But they're all mid-turn, so maybe they're not strong. Most of them were turned by the time the barn goes up, and they still have trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, also, fire, maybe? I don't but also, I was thinking... Where they're like, so the barn only has one door? What the hell barn is this? Like, okay, then there's a place to load the hay probably towards the ceiling. Like, really, there's probably multiple points of egress. But the the whole, like, all of a sudden, like, (laughs) midway through, like, the roof explodes. Yeah. Like, it was burning from the bottom up. Then the roof explodes. We're meant to believe it just collapses on them are meant to understand that they had a distillery in the top of the barn which is why they had only one entry point for the egress to get in and whenever it goes up it goes up hardcore and they also don't want to break up the barn because they don't want their still to get busted up because that's how they pay for the colony that's all i got that's that's the only excuse that i can come up with it's it's a giant fucking plot contrivance that's what the barn is it's a the barn of plot contrivance to get rid of as many werewolves as possible (laughs) (laughs) that's all it is we just gotta really take care of this Shove a gun in there. They'll never be able to open up this door. I know. That was my was like <laughs> That's yeah. your only weapon yeah. that contains silver and yet you get rid of it just to burn a bunch no, of No, no, no. He took they, the rifle that uh the brother had ah, and okay. stuffed it in there. He still had the the silver rifle. All right. Well, Chris Halloran's clearly smarter than what William Neal would have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> werewolf sheriff using a gun. Is that cheating? Um Werewolf sheriff also didn't turn all the way into a werewolf. That's true. Not cheating. He's fine. He's cheating. But if you because can't if you can't be killed by conventional means unless it's a silver bullet or fire, using a gun just seems like an unfair advantage to me. Why do you hate cops so much? Yeah, what is wrong with you? With you. Come on. Come on. He wasn't okay, but he wasn't transformed. What's he supposed to do? Go up and fucking sing him a you know barnyard ditty to death? <laughs> like he's Considering not, Slim Pickens' career, that might actually kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but he. But seriously, like, okay, if he was full on werewolf, and he was walking around with a rifle, I'd say, oh, that what the what the hell is this? Um, but he wasn't. He was just like, you know, his fangs come out. You know, he's turning, and maybe he can't turn so well because he's an aging werewolf. But or they uh, couldn't afford enough makeup to cover Slim Pickens. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he wasn't changed all the way, so I don't think it's cheating. Until you're changed, it's not cheating. Do you guys find the scene where the werewolves are surrounding the cop car and kind of scratching at the windows and toying with them before they start smashing in it? Do you find that scary? Um, 
No. No, not really. Oh, I um, really like that scene. I found that really creepy. Well, it's not that I disliked the scene. I just don't think it was all that scary. Oh, I really I liked it. Scary. Wow, I can't believe... Yeah, that's where they're kind of coming out of the shadow or the fog and they're around the car. That really worked for me. That, that doesn't get me. If it was zombies, it would have. Yeah, me too. Um, I think it's because they don't smash the windows. It doesn't work for everybody else. Because I was thinking that. I'm like, come on, just smash your way through. But they're just kind of like hovering over it and just kind of scratching at it a little bit and toying with them. <laughs> not, yeah, I think that's, I don't know. It's just something about like, I'm sure during a real werewolf attack, I will be terrified. But <laughs> I wasn't here. <laughs> but, but Court, you know me. Like, I, I don't like zombies. And so... It's a little bit less now with like the oversaturation of shit. You're a deadist. Uh, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> you get um, deadism real bad, man. Yeah, you're gonna have to work on that deadism. Yeah, necrophobic. <laughs> the uh, better than what I am, necro. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I feel like we just yelled the secret word in Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, Necrophilia. <laughs> <laughs> what just so, happened? What happened? <laughs> You know, like zombies would have terrified me because they're just trying to get to you. And if these guys are like, hey, hey, look, I'm fucking with the glass. <laughs> right. Hey. Yeah. Like, I'm hey, just hey. like, now they're just annoying me more than anything. Yeah, kind of me too. Like, there's a lot of this me. where I just, like, feel like Karen was like, Jesus, just get it over with. Come like, on. during the 30 minute transformation of Eddie uh, or this, <laughs> she, like, are you going to come through the glass and kill me already or not? Like, it was just like horrendously slaughter me. Just stop fucking boring me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Can we get it on already? Werewolves are kind of the drama queens of the, uh, of the monster world in this in movie. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Especially this one. Okay. That's actually going to lead us to our next clip. Good evening. More word on that fire that's burning out of control up the coast tonight. Firefighters have discovered the blaze seems to have started at The Colony, an experimental living community founded by author and behavior expert Dr. George Wett. She's ready. How's she look? She look all right to you? Reports so far indicate that bodies have been discovered both inside and outside the colony building. Into a single? Many of them burned beyond recognition. And what authorities on the scene are calling a Guyana-like spectacle? Now for an exclusive eyewitness report on the incident, we will Welcome back. She Up shows any sign of freezing like the last Karen time we're right to commercial. Karen, take one. Good evening. From the day we're born, there is a battle we must fight. A struggle between what is kind and peaceful in our natures and what is cruel and violent. What the hell is this, an editorial? That choice is our birthright as human beings and the real gift that differentiates us from the animals. It is as natural to us as the air we Did breathe. Did you pass this material? She's not ready All for of the us take it for granted. We changed it a little. But now for some of us, that choice has been taken away. A secret society exists and is living among all of us. They are neither people nor animals, but something... <laughs> In between. Monstrous mutations whose violent natures take one. must be satisfied. I know what you're thinking because I've been where you are. That's enough. Leave and it. it's possible Leave to it. imagine. Cut. Leave it! But I have proof, and tonight I'm going to show you something. Make you believe. How terrible is the wear Pekingese that they make up they did for D. Wallace? Yeah, it's terrible. Yes. Oh my I God, it's that. terrible. I was like, what the? That's the most adorable little werewolf. Even in werewolf form, she seems like fragile, fragile and, and weak. weak and scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's not as bad as when they try to recreate it in the second yeah. movie. Which we will That's get to as soon as you move yourself on over to the Deuce feed to hear the second installment of this crossover podcast. Huh? huh? Walk on over. Come and knock on our door. It was like, Come and I start giggling um, because, like, <laughs> it was... She's like a Bichon Frise or whatever it is. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Ridiculous. It's terrible. Oh, yeah. It almost oh, completely ruins the film when you see that wear Pekingese thing. It's, oh, it was just the worst. Well, they didn't every give her a snout. Oh, like, every other what? werewolf has a snout pop out, <laughs> and she didn't get a snout. She gave her a pug nose, for fuck's sake. She had an Ewok mask on. Yeah, she did, didn't she? Something. Yeah. It's like a werewolf that had a bad nose job. Yeah. yeah like right? Jennifer Aniston got turned into a fucking werewolf. It's like if Michael Jackson was a werewolf, this yeah, would be. Yeah, that's it. even better. Yeah. Michael Jackson's werewolf because there's no actual nose for it to transform. This is, yeah. If Michael Jackson remade oh. Thriller in his later years, that would have been the werewolf he turned into. That werecat they make him look like is just like her were Pekingese. It's completely not scary. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the ultimate question to life, the universe, and everything, and the answer is always going to be 42. No, but the ultimate question for tonight, how much do you like the ending overall if you can give up and, and just kind of move past the where Pekingese, the idea that she transforms on screen to prove that werewolves are real? I like it. 42. 42. 42. Fair enough. 42 it is, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a little break. We're going to play a promo for another podcast. And when we come back, we will close out the show. Plug it in, Joe. We'll see what happens. They come from the bowels of box office oblivion. Well, it's big and terrible. A race of films unknown and unappreciated by all but the most warped and abnormal film geeks. And now, one man with an overgrown video collection and no social life brings back these forgotten classics. Come to me, Golems! Sometimes to his delight, and sometimes to his regret. Uh, are you out of your stupid run and go, you dumb man? Can your mind handle the bizarre offerings of abnormal state theater? Now you are going to get it. Oh, you are going to get it! Presented monthly by Clockwork Cardiac Productions. When we return to our planet, the High Court may well sentence you to torture! So we have just completed the first installment of the crossover with the Deuce podcast. Now, if people want to find the second installment that we're about to deliver to them on the same day, Brad, Jeremy, how are they going to do that? Uh, so they can find us at thedeucepodcast.podbean.com. What? Are you serious? Yeah. Really? Uh, or Stitcher. Mm. Uh, iTunes. Mm, that tastes good. <laughs> Google Play Music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or uh, you can also find us on Facebook uh, under the deuce. Look for the flaming two. Uh, no <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. 
So, uh, and you can, if you go there, you can see uh, other podcasts from friends of the show, uh, as well as surveys and, and other fun stuff that we like to put up there. All mm-hmm. right. Well, folks, you can find us on Legion Podcasts as you normally do. That's legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. Suckers. <laughs> no, we're we're all good now, remember? We made good with both. You you, uh, you lost all that, didn't you? Yeah, I lost. All right. I'm going to have to run you through the memory machine to get that all back. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're also going to remember all the horrible things that you did while you were blackout drunk after Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. Hey, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, what's Legion Podcast? That's the network where they can find our fucking podcast. Okay. Yeah. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a group, Cinema PsyOps, where you can find photographic evidence of all of the horrible things that Matt did throughout space, f- time, and all multiple dimensions. What the fuck's the internet? <laughs> you can also find me on Facebook. I am Court Psyops. You can find Matt on Facebook. He is Matt Psyop. If you found the plank that says brutal, you've got the right guy. Go ahead and friend him. And that then definitely send him describes the last two weeks of my life. <laughs> a plank that says brutal? Brutal. Yeah. I'm more like you getting pegged saying brutal. But anyway, <laughs> you can email feedback to Matt, psyopmatt at gmail.com, and also all of the inquiries for him to pay for all of the damage he has done in multiple dimensions, space, and time over the last week. Yeah. Sorry, sorry everyone. <laughs> sorry. You're bad, huh? My, my, my bad. Yeah. Yeah. You can email feedback to court, cinemasyopscourt at gmail.com and tell him to be more secure with the technology that Matt has used to destroy all you, of mankind. You really do make it readily available for any drunk person to grab. If if no one gets hurt, what's the point of mad science? I guess. Yeah. You can twit a couple of tweets to a couple of twats of your werewolf sex transformations. I'm at court underscore psyop and he is for, at psyop Matt. I'm for that. You're Finally f- something that I'm for. <laughs> werewolf <laughs> transformations yeah. during sex. Yeah. It's a new level of porn that we just got to get into. Got to get into that. <laughs> also, if you can find any, you know, uh, vampires going into bats, you know, that too. <laughs> Monstrous sex, people. That's yes, what we need to see photos of. <laughs> at court underscore psyop and at psyop Matt. Twit a couple of tweets to a couple of twats. Thank you folks for downloading and listening to this episode. Kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch.
listening to Nine Two Inches of Dick Neck, you want to see at least a little bit of man ass.